Hmm. It may be that the full facts about the incident at Oakfield Park and the strange events which followed may not be revealed for 30 years when the government archives are open to public scrutiny. I didn't feel that I could wait that long. I may not even have that long. I type with two fingers and it's slow work. Oh, sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. The name is Lashwood, Hugh Lashwood. At any rate, I've done my best to piece together the whole bizarre story. Not unnaturally, the security services, MI5 in particular, were not very cooperative, and I was unofficially warned of dire consequences if I went ahead, a threat which I chose to ignore. Other people, many of whom I knew, were helpful, even anxious, that the truth should be told. So the story that follows is as complete and accurate as I can make it. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It began, I suppose, on that warm afternoon in late June, when the Prime Minister Jack Stoddart and his wife Jess arrived at his constituency of Oakfield to open a local fete. Not unnaturally, the local chief constable and the Prime Minister's personal detective were at some pains to check the security arrangements. Ah, oh, here he comes now, Danes. Oh. Yeah, Hugh Lashwood. He's the local agent responsible for the organisation of the fete. Afternoon, Chief Constable. Afternoon. Good to see you here. Oh, I'm not here out of choice, Hugh. No offence, but I'd sooner be on the golf course. Wouldn't we all? Hugh, uh, this is Chief Inspector Danes, the Prime Minister's private detective. A pleasure to meet you, Chief Inspector. And my condolences. Condolences? Being nursemaid to the PM can't be the most exciting of jobs. I'm not looking for excitement, Mr Lashwood. I've had my share of that. I've got two years to go, and a bit of peace and quiet will suit me. Hugh, perhaps you could fill the Chief Inspector in about this afternoon. Uh, what's the drill? Oh, the procedure hasn't changed in 20 years. They should finish lunch by 2.15. At 2.30 prompt, Jack, uh, I mean the PM, will declare the fate open. After that, he'll make a tour of the various stalls and sideshows. You mean he'll be out there with the crowd? You don't need to concern yourself on that score, Chief Inspector. The sort of people who come here are good, solid citizens. Solid, yes. Good... That's open to debate. He's a cynic, Chief Inspector. <laughs> Ignore him. We'll have no trouble. In any case, the PM will have two of my men with him. You and I can sit here and relax over a gin and tonic. Now, could you make it appear? No problem. We've set up a private bar next door. Help yourselves. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be through with lunch in a few minutes. Mr Lashwood? Yes? What time do you think we'll be able to get away? You'd be leaving now if the PM had his way. You can't stand these functions. Well, you'll have to put up a show, take tea with a few of the locals. I reckon you should be on your way back to Downing Street by four o'clock. See ya. Friends, uh, ladies and gentlemen, could I have your attention, please? Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. Thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, welcome once again to our annual Oakfield Fate. Uh, the, weather's the weather's been kind, been kind to us this year, and I think we're all in for a very good afternoon. And I know that uh, you will be as delighted as I am to see that our local MP, the Prime Minister, and Mrs Stoddart are with us yet again. 
Prime Minister, we all know, or we can guess, what a heavy burden lies on your shoulders and what a busy schedule you have to follow. So we do deeply appreciate the fact that you and Mrs. Stoddard have taken the time to be with us today. Thank you. Uh, may I now ask you to say a few words and formally open the plate? Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Simon, for those kind words of introduction. You spoke about my schedule. It is pretty punishing, I admit that, but I can tell you frankly that this event, the annual Oakfield Fete, is one of the highlights of my calendar, and it would take a couple of packs of wild horses to keep me away. <laughs> and, and I know that my wife, Jess, feels exactly the same way. Oh, shut that damn window, Stu. I've heard enough. All right. Now, I'm sure you don't want to hear anything. That's better. When a politician says he's going to be brief, you can take odds he'll yak on for 20 minutes. Uh, pour me the rest of that bottle, will you? You don't need a secretary. What you need is a barmaid. Now, don't be cheeky, lass. You're too young to be cheeky. Here we are. Thanks. The truth, Sue, the real truth is, not that you're too young, but that I'm too old. I can remember too much. I can remember when the Prime Minister and I were young comrades together, full of dreams and ideals. Ha! <laughs> ideals. Oh, we're in one of our maudlin moods, are we? Maybe. Seeing him brings it all back. It's all gone so sour it makes me sick to think about it. I look at Jack Stoddart today and I can't believe that this is the man I once knew. He's like a rubber doll. He can be pulled in any direction. Well, if you feel like that, why don't you quit? I'm just coasting, love. Going through the motions, hanging on for my pension. That'll be Liberation Day. Then they can all go to hell. Hmm. Ah, it's his wife I feel sorry for. Jess. Do you know, when they got married, I was best man. Everyone thought they were an ideal couple, a perfect match. Now. They're still together. Just about. But it's an echo of what it used to be. It wouldn't be good politics for the marriage to break up, so he puts on an act, like today. She's worth a dozen of him. Mm, were you in love with her? Oh, don't be so damn stupid. You are young and cheeky. Open that window. Let's see if he's still talking. And so, my friends, I can promise you this. So long as I am Prime Minister, we shall continue to press ahead in a relentless search for peace. And now... Now to the important business of the afternoon. I want first to thank all those volunteer workers who do so much to make this event a success. They have excelled themselves this afternoon. So let's show our thanks. I now declare the fate open. Thank you, Prime Minister. Uh, would you like to make a tour of the fete now? Yes, of course. Excuse me one moment, though. I just want a word with my wife. Oh, yes, 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 of course. Jess. Jess, have you got a moment? Are you all right, Jack? Of course I'm not all right. Have you got my tablets? No, I didn't think to bring them. I might have known. I mean, agony. I could get someone to go to a chemist and get something. Don't talk daft, woman. Let everyone know I've got a dicky stomach. The gossip writers would have a field day with that. Okay. If you prefer to suffer, that's your choice. Not a sympathy I get from you. All set, uh, Prime Minister, Mrs. Stoddart? Uh, yes, Simon, yes. All ready for the fray. Looking forward to it. Oh, just one point. 
We must be away by four, a little earlier if possible. Uh, no problem, it shall be arranged. Right, this way. Uh, we've got a fortune teller this year. Oh, marvellous. It's one of our own party workers, actually. It's very amusing. Uh, none of my business, Mr Lashwood, but don't you think you've had enough? You're right, it is none of your business. But if it's any consolation to you, young Susan, there's one thing I've learnt in the course of a long, varied and totally unsuccessful career. My capacity. I know to a quarter of a pint how much I can drink without falling over. Mm. And as you see, I'm still on my feet. Congratulations. What do you make of that fellow Sharp? Sharp? George Sharp, the one who's doing the fortune telling. Oh, I don't really know him. He's a hard worker, I'll say that. Gone to a lot of trouble this afternoon. Do you know, he's actually got hold of a real gypsy caravan. I must go over later and take a look. Hmm. What made you ask about him? I don't know. I suppose... I suppose because he seems too good to be true. How do you mean? Well, he's been a member of the party how long? Six months? He spends almost all his spare time canvassing or doing other jobs for us, yet I know no more about him now than when he started. I mean, well, most youngsters are like you, pretty left-wing, and you let us know it, but I couldn't for the life of me tell you where young Sharp stands. He is English, I suppose. Well, Sharp is a fair old English name, wouldn't you say? That's no criterion. I once knew a Lithuanian Jew called Carruthers. <laughs> and I knew a Pole who went to speech training and eliminated his accent. At the end of the day, he spoke perfect English. The only trouble was, it was too perfect, know what I mean? Yes. It had no real character. Hmm. George Sharp speaks rather like that. <laughs> Does it matter? No. It's just that I like to place people. And him... I can't place. Come on, you lucky people. Take a look into the future with the original Gypsy Petronella. The secrets of tomorrow revealed to you for only 20 pence. Step this way if you... Ah, Mr. Prime Minister, welcome. <laughs> Step inside my caravan and I will a tale unfold. A tale of the future. No, thanks. I've quite enough on my plate with the present. Never mind the future. <laughs> oh, come on, sir. Be a sport. It's all for the cause. If you give a lead, the others will follow. Now, come in and hear the gypsy's warning, good sir. I tell you what, you can read my wife's hand. Ah. Can't let you mess about with mine. We might break the official secrets act. <laughs> Go on, Jess. No, Jack. I'm superstitious. I don't believe in tempting fate. Why don't you both come in? Come on, friends. A round of applause for Mr. and Mrs. Stoddart. They're going to let the gypsy tell their fortunes. Give them a big hand. Don't make the movie 18. Don't be frightened, Jack. It's only George Sharp in drag. Find out who's going to win the next election, eh? Come on, my beauties. The people have spoken. You can't ignore the voice of the people. Oh, come on, Jack. I'll go if you will. All right, all right. Damn silly. I bet the press will make a meal of it. This way, sir. Madam, mind the steps. In we go. In we go. The Prime Minister's offered me a gong. What? A medal, you ignorant young twit. Oh. CBE. He wants to make me a commander of Her Majesty's Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. What empire? The empire what was. 
He asked me about it this morning. Well, I hope you told him what he could do with his gong. Not in so many words. I said I'd think about it. You can't take it. A load of old imperialist rubbish. The trouble is, he means it for the best. He thinks of it as an honour, a reward for devoted service. It's an insult, not an honour. Oh, up the revolution. I'm not here. Yes? Oh, uh, this is Mr Lashwood's secretary. Can I take a message? Well, I'll see if I can find him. It's for you. Sounds urgent. OK, I'd better speak to him. Lashwood here. The time? What is this? Well, I make it exactly 2.46. Who is that speaking? Listen, if this is your idea of a joke... Now, listen. Hello? Hello? He hung up. Where's the chief constable and the prime minister's private detective? Well, last time I saw them, they were in the bar next door. What's wrong? Chief constable, inspector, could you give me a moment? What is it, Hugh? I've just had a phone call. Could be a hoax, a nutter of some sort. What to do with the prime minister? I don't what? know. It was a man's voice, foreign accent. He said to clear the crowd well away from the fortune teller's caravan. There's a bomb in there, he said. And it's time to go off at three o'clock exactly. Is the PM still out there? As far as I know. Hills, bells, I'll get him out pronto just in case. It must be a hoax. Oh, better safe than sorry. Get to that damn microphone and tell everybody to clear the field. Keep it as low-key as possible. We don't want to panic. Will do. Constable! Constable! Sir? Where is the Prime Minister? May I ask to a Chief Inspector Dane, I'm on assignment for the PM. Oh, sorry, sir. The Prime Minister and his wife are in the caravan over there. They went in... Yeah, well, come on! All right, sir. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. Attention, please. Could I have your attention? Quiet, please. Would you stop the carousel, please? Can you hear me? The people running the roundabout. Would you stop the organ, please? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm broadcasting this message on behalf of the police and with their authority. They ask that you leave the park at once. Please leave the park at once. This is urgent. In your own interests, please leave in a quiet and orderly manner. This includes all stewards and party workers. Everyone, without exception, must leave the fate now, without delay. Prime Minister! Prime Minister! Is he in there? I don't know, sir. He went in with his wife and nobody saw them come out. But I can't make them hear. The door is locked and bolted. Oh, break it down. Constable, sir. Help me. Put your shoulder against this door. Right, sir. It's no good. How long have we got, Chief Inspector? Three minutes. Quick. Give me a hand with the top of that trestle table. Now, we'll use it as a battering ram. Now, clear all that junk off. Yes. Right. Now. All together now. It's giving! Come on, come on, one more time. Oh. That'll do. Pull that one away so that we can reach the inside bolt. God, look. Do you see that? There's another door behind this one, and it's made of solid steel. Steel? What the hell is going on? The windows. Try the windows. Two minutes. The windows are all shuttered, sir. Well, then, break down the shutters, man. Aim there. 
Off the hinge. We are through. Prime Minister. Prime Minister. I'll go in there, sir. No, it's my job. Give me a leg up. Wait, wait, wait. Now there's only a minute to go. Don't give me a leg up, I said constable. Once I'm through, back off to a safe distance. Right. Here we go. Come on, constable. Back off. Get down. Cover your head. Come out, Danes. Less than 30 seconds left. Come out. No sign of them. It must be a hoax. No sign of them and no sign of a bomb. I reckon they must God, you've been hit, Harry. The blood, your face. Hmm? No, oh, it's nothing. I caught a bit of flying glass. What about Inspector Danes? He was inside with a bombardoff, poor devil. My God. Didn't stand a chance. Where the hell is my inspector? Ah, Wiley. Crikey. Are you all right? Yes, yes. Now, listen, Wiley. I want you to get on to County HQ. Tell the duty officer to send 20 men here at once. I've done that, sir. What did you tell them? There had been an explosion. Did you say that Chief Inspector Danes had been killed? No, sir, I didn't know that. Mm. Killed? Mm. It's tough. He was a good bloke. I told HQ to put out an immediate alert and operate procedures for a major emergency. Right. When the extra men arrive, I'm on this area, the whole field, cordoned off. Nobody but nobody must be allowed through without my authority. And nothing is to be touched. Understood? All correct, sir. Chief Constable, could I ask Who you... are you? Press. Hemmings. County Times. I just want to know... Inspector. Uh... Sir. Have this gentleman and other members of the press escorted to the house. What about the Prime Minister and Mrs Stoddart? What about them? Where are they? To the best of my knowledge, the Prime Minister and his wife left some time ago to fulfil another engagement. But no one saw the PM leave, sir, and his official car is still in the drive. Inspector, get this man off my back. Sir. I'll make a full statement to the press in good time. Yeah, well, if you could simply explain now, come why... Come on, sir, yeah, the Chief. Well, look, I just want to ask you a few questions. When... You won't hold the press off for long, Harry. I need time, Hugh. Time to think. Now, listen. No one has seen the PM or his wife since they went into that caravan, right? Right. Danes got in through the window about 20 seconds before the explosion. He called out that there was no one there. He couldn't have missed them. Two people in a caravan that size. Not two. Three. There was the young man who dressed himself up as the fortune teller. George Sharp, of course. He went in with them. Exactly. And if he wasn't blown up, and there's no reason to suppose he was, then he has vanished with the others. Vanished? <laughs> What other word could you use? Chief Constable, this lady likes... Uh, Inspector, I said nobody. This is Miss Julia Hammond, the Prime Minister's private secretary. Oh, oh, I see. <coughs> I'm afraid there isn't much I can tell you, Miss Hammond. I have to know about the Prime Minister. You must understand that. When did you last see him? When he left the platform and began his tour of the fate. I went to make some calls to London. And you haven't seen him since? No. Is it possible that he and his wife just quietly slipped away? Mr Lashwood, you know it's quite impossible. Chief Constable... Were they in that caravan? No. We are pretty sure of that. Danes got in through... Chief Inspector Danes? Was he hurt? He was killed. Oh, that's awful. Who would... I mean... It was a trap. When the Prime Minister and Mrs Stoddart walked into it. A trap? The door was locked behind them as they went in. And not only that, a second door made of steel was also closed behind them, presumably to stop anyone breaking in. The heavy shutters at the windows were locked in place. Now, why take all those precautions to stop other people getting in? Or to stop the Prime Minister getting out? I don't understand. Work it out for yourself, Miss Hammond. The Prime Minister and Mrs Stoddart did go into the caravan. There are a hundred witnesses to that. More. No one saw them come out. 
Yet they were not there when Chief Inspector Danes broke in. So, there are two possibilities. Either they did manage to slip away without being seen... With respect, that's ridiculous. Why would the Prime Minister want to sneak away like that? Perhaps he got fed up with being Prime Minister and decided to chuck it. Mr Lashwood, this is not funny. No, I'm sorry. Uh, we agree. It is highly improbable, almost impossible, that they could have gone off without a word or without being recognised. And the second possibility, Chief Constable? They have been abducted, kidnapped. Oh, but surely that's equally improbable. Are you seriously suggesting that they were overpowered in some way and then whisked off in full view of hundreds of people? It's not possible. Right, so there's only one logical answer. They went into the caravan and they were taken out before the explosion and they were taken out secretly so as not to be seen by the crowd. Well, that's it. There must have been another exit at the back. The caravan was backed up against that wall. It was parked about here. Part of the next stall has been blown against the wall. Uh, give me a hand with this timber, will you? Uh, it's coming. Look, a gate. A gate in the wall. Right. And on the other side of that door, there's a road which leads directly to the motorway. Mr. Stoddard, we are not afraid of you or anything about you. On the contrary, the boot, as they say, is on the other foot. Now just keep quiet and relax. These ropes, they're cutting into me. They're cutting off the circulation. Oh, we're in pain, are we? Never mind. Into each life a little rain must fall. Wait. Do you know who I am? Oh, yes. I believe I know who you are, Mr. Stoddart. The real question is not who you are, but what you are. What do you want? What's this all about? You will find out in good time. Where are you taking me? Where is this plane going? Questions, questions. It's not too late. No real harm's been done so far. If you turn back immediately, I promise that I'll use my influence with the authorities Save to try and mitigate... Save your the... breath, Mr. Stoddart. There will be no turning back. You realize what you're doing? What you've done? You'll have the police, the security services, the entire country out after you. There'll be a national, no, an international outcry. They'll hunt you down wherever you go. Please, do not get excited. It won't help, I assure you. They'll find me. Wherever you take me, they'll track me down. God help you and your friends then. And what will they do when they've located you? Send a gunboat? The Air Force? Set up an invasion? You're taking me beyond the Iron Curtain. Is that the plan? <laughs> the Iron Curtain. What an infantile phrase. And you think you'll find refuge there? Don't you believe it. Even in Eastern Europe, they'll never condone the kidnapping of a British Prime Minister. We shall see. Now I think you'd better go to sleep again. What are you doing? 
Just something to help you relax. Don't try and struggle. We don't want to break the needle, do we? <laughs> What happened to my wife? <laughs> I wondered when you'd ask about her. Uh, where, where is she? Fast asleep. Is she on this plane? How could we possibly separate her from such a devoted husband? Now, sleep. Sleep. It was hard, almost impossible to believe at first, that Jack Stoddart, the Prime Minister of this country, with his wife, should be kidnapped in broad daylight, and that this should happen within a few yards of a huge crowd seemed to be beyond credibility, so much so that the first news bulletins made no mention of this extraordinary development. A senior police officer was killed this afternoon when a bomb exploded in the grounds of Oakfield House in Leicestershire where the annual fate of the local Labour Party was in progress. A telephone message warning the organisers to clear the area was received some minutes before the explosion, and it was while trying to locate the bomb that Detective Chief Inspector Danes, aged 51, met his death. So far, no group or person has claimed responsibility. A massive police search is now going on, and we'll have further news in our next bulletin. Meanwhile, down in Whitehall, in the corridors of power... It was panic stations all round, or something pretty close. The nation usually closes down on Saturday afternoons, so the key ministers and officials, much to their disgust, had to abandon their leisure pursuits and head for an emergency meeting at the Home Office. Ah, Douglas. Sorry, I'm late, Home Secretary. No problem, we've only just started. What good works did we drag you away from? Uh, cricket. Actually, Home Secretary. Oh, good Lord, I hope you weren't batting. Uh, luckily, no. Good. Gentlemen, this is Douglas Lam, my principal private secretary. Oh, He's relatively new, so you may not have met him. Douglas, uh, Sir George Owen, the Commissioner of Police, do do, and do do? Sir Maurice Jennings of Five. How do you do? Now, Douglas, first things first. See if you can rustle up some tea, will you? Oh, it might be difficult, Home Secretary, Saturday and all that. Uh, could we get on, Home Secretary? Of course, Commissioner... Douglas, I'm sure you'll arrange something. Try your charms on one of the messengers, eh? Yes, Home Secretary. Now, where were we? Ah, yes. I was about to ask, can you be 100% sure? I mean, there's no possibility of error. We'd look pretty foolish if we started a hue and cry and the PM suddenly turned up. I spoke to the Chief Constable in Oakfield. All the evidence indicates a kidnapping, carefully planned and daringly executed. By whom? Morris, any thoughts? Not as yet. The IRA? Provisionals? Impossible to say until my experts have examined the bomb fragments. I doubt the IRA, not their style. The bomb, yes, of course. But this sort of kidnapping would be something quite new. Any reason why they shouldn't try a new tack? No. Well? An operation as complex as this. I'm pretty sure we'd have got at least a hint of it from our inside contacts. 
Well, does anyone have any idea at all about this? I mean, about the objectives of the people behind it? We shall know that when they contact us. Do you think they will? That is the usual pattern. Well, suppose they simply kill him, murder him. Uh, no, that's not likely. Not yet, at any rate. Why so sure? If they'd wanted to kill the PM, they could simply have left him to be blown sky high in that caravan. No. Well, there's no point in sitting here playing guessing games. Uh, what is happening at Oakfield, Commissioner? I've sent in a team under Commander John Knowles. Good. The best. Did you clear it with the Chief Constable? Oh, he asked for Knowles. He went up by chopper, so he should be there at any moment. Commander Knowles? Good afternoon. This way, sir. The Chief Constable's up at the ice, talking to the press. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is all I can tell you at the moment. Thank you. Oh, he's told us now. He was the chief constable. May I ask you... No, you may not, Mr Hemmings. I have no further statement to make at this time. You will be kept fully informed. Commander Knowles has just got here. Oh, coming. <clears throat> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Mr Lashwood. Yeah? Ah, Bert Hemmings, ace reporter of the County Times, no less. Might I have a word? Well? What has happened to the Prime Minister? You heard what the Chief Constable said. Look, you're the agent here. When this is all over, when they've all gone, you'll still be here. And you'll need the goodwill of the local press. You don't, don't seem to... Don't try that line with me, sunshine. Don't try blackmail. It won't wash. I was here when you were still a leer in your father's eyes. I've survived so far without your help. And I reckon I'll be able to hang on a little longer. Mr Lashwood, I didn't mean Goodbye, to... Goodbye, Mr Hemmings. Right, gentlemen. Well, I won't keep you. And I won't attempt to tell you what needs to be done. You know that better than I. I shall be available at all times. Thank you, Home Secretary. Uh, Douglas. Home Secretary's office? Ah, yes. Uh, put him through. The Deputy Prime Minister for you, Home Secretary. Ah, Billy, I take it you've heard the news. No, no further developments. Well, that's it. Completely disappeared. No trace at all. Well, we've held off the press, but we can't do so for much longer. Well, as soon as you get back, we ought to issue a statement. Thank you. Good. Well, I can hold the fort until then. Emergency cabinet at ten tomorrow morning. Sir. Uh, fine with me. Uh, 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 hold on a minute, will you? My private secretary has just passed me a note. Uh, hmm. um, no, Billy, it is not good. Uh, a report from Oakfield. There's a small airfield five miles north of the town. Apparently an unidentified aircraft took off from there about ten minutes after the explosion. This particular airfield hasn't been used for five years. It's scheduled for redevelopment as a housing estate. Abroad? Well, it seems likely, but where? Where the devil would they take him? Remove the blindfold and untie his hands. Yes, comrade. Where is this place? Where are we? Silence! Listen to me, for I will tell you only once. You are a prisoner here. You have no name and number only. It is 50810. 50810. Now repeat that. 50810. Now the Silence! I shall not warn you again. You will remain silent at all times unless given permission to speak. 
When I enter this cell or one of the other guards, you will stand over by the wall at attention. When ordered to speak, you will always repeat your number. On the bank there, you will find a uniform which you will wear at all times. Failure to comply with these regulations will result in drastic punishment. Do you understand? Do you understand that you're speaking to the British Prime Minister? That the direst consequences will... Now perhaps you will obey orders. Just to remember you are nothing here. Nothing. A number only. Come, Valchek. Remember. My wife. Where's my wife? What have you done with my wife? What's your name, Constable? Cook, sir. Uh, I make no criticism of your driving, Cook, which seems to me all it should be. But when you're driving me, will you do your best to remember that we are not on the television? This is not a rerun of the Sweeney or Starsky and Hutch. Sir, I think the Commander Knowles is referring to the siren. There is no need to have the damn thing blaring all the time. Oh, sorry, sir. Uh, Mrs. Oddle? Police? Uh, yes, uh, I'm Detective Inspector Wiley, Oakfield Police, and this is uh, Commander Knowles from Scotland Yard. Madam? Uh, you rang the station? Of course. Soon as I heard that report on the wireless about the bomb and all that. He should have rung, really. M- my husband, I mean. But he can be that cussed at times. After all, he saw the blessed aeroplane, not me. Ring the police, I told him, but would he? Oh, not him. It's the phone, you see. Is your husband in? Ah, he's in the kitchen, messing the place up with one of his blessed models. May we see him? Don't see why not. Come through and uh, I'll make you a cup of tea. Thank you, Mrs. Hoddle. My pleasure. Well, come on now, George. These gentlemen have come a long way to talk to you. Oh, I... I wonder, Mrs. Hartle, would you mind if we had a word alone with your husband? Uh, well, oh, uh, no, I don't mind, but, uh, but I warn you, you'll get nothing out of him on his own. He'll tell me where he won't tell other folk, you see. Still, I've got plenty to get on with. I'm going to tend the chickens now, George. Uh-huh. While I'm gone, you talk to the gentlemen, do you hear? They want to talk to you. I said they want to talk to you. Oh, aye. See what I mean? Oh, well, help yourself to more tea if you want it. You know a bit about airplanes, eh, Mr. Oddle? Aye. A bit. That model you're making, what is it? Harrier. A jump jet, Mark II. Hobby of yours, eh? Aye. Sort of hobby, you might say. This uh, plane you saw take off from the old airfield, were it a big plane? No, sir. It were a single-engine job. I reckon she were a, a pipe of Cherokee, 180. You sound very sure. Aye, I am. How did you recognise the plane? The wings. It had them short, stubby wings. I see. And Mr Holiday, he's got a Cherokee. I've seen that often enough. Uh, who is Holiday? Farmer. Big farmer. Not like me. Got a place five mile north of here. Keeps his plane there. And the plane you saw, it wasn't Mr Holiday's? No, no. I looked special. Looked for Mr. Holiday's markings. He's a... Gop. Huh? Come again? G-A-W-P-E. G. Ah. Yeah, G for George, A for Apple, W for Winter, P for Peter, <coughs> E yeah. for Egg, Gop. 
easy to remember. <laughs> no, no, the play that I saw didn't have no markings. Leastways, they've been blacked out. Have you uh, noticed any activity on the old airfield in the past few days, Mr. Hottle? No, can't say I have, sir. You saw the plane taking off. You didn't see it uh, come in? No, sir. Reckon it must have come in sometime during the morning. I was in Oakfield then getting supplies. Have you seen any other planes using the airfield since it was closed? No. I mean, they'd be tacking too much of a chance, wouldn't they? Them runways is all broke up full of patrols. Ah. You said you'd see Mr. Holliday's plane come over quite frequently. Ah, yes, sir. But not to use that old airfield. Like I say, he has a strip on his own place. Ah. Otherwise, he uses Leicester, I think. Anything else you can tell us, Mr. Hoddle? Uh, don't reckon so, sir. Fine. Well, you've been very helpful. We're going to take a look at the airfield, and then we shall be going back to Oakfield. If anything else comes to your mind, ring the station there. Ask for me, Commander Knowles, all right? Right, sir. I'll do that. Commander! Here, take a look at this. What is it? Ah, someone's gone to a lot of trouble to tie up this stretch of their own way. They've filled in the potholes. So they have. And they've marked the clear area with yellow paint. Uh, must have been done in the last three days, sir. I checked with the county council. One of their surveyors was here on Wednesday. The runway hadn't been cleared then. Right. I want you to get a team to work right away. I want this runway gone over inch by inch. The whole field come to that. Anything particular to look for, sir? Well, what do you want, a diagram? Look for anything, man. Cigarette ends, anything. Paint tins, for example. If we can find out where that yellow paint was bought, that might give us a lead. Yeah, hold on. Do you see what I see? Over there, between those two huts. You mean the uh, grey van? Yes, is it one of ours? Oh, not to my knowledge, sir. Come on, let's take a look. Don't touch anything. Oh, I know better than that, sir. Sorry. Hmm. Ford Thames 1500 weight. London registration. Four or five years old. Probably nicked. Well, I'll have it checked out. Looks a mess inside. You wanted cigarette ends, sir. That ashtray's full of them. Now, that rolled up bit of paper on the driver's seat. Can you reach it through the window? Oh, I think so. Uh, yep. Just a bait. Ah, got it. Here we are. And what is it, sir? Uh, it's a handbill advertising the fate. But on the back, here... Look, what do you make of that? Oh, figures. Now, wait. Yes, it could be. I reckon they're calculations about the wind velocities. Yes. Well, that must be it. The pilot of that plane must have sat in this van working out his flight plan. And those, those words underneath? Oh, I haven't a clue, sir. Foreign? Russian? Could be Russian or Czech. Yes, look, that word Praha, that's the Czech spelling for Prague. God, Czechoslovakia. Do you reckon that's where they've been taken? Good morning, Mrs. Stoddart. I said good morning, Mrs. Stoddart. I brought tea, but if you prefer coffee, I can change it. No trouble. No, no tea. It will be fine. It's a beautiful morning. Morning? Did you say morning? Yes. Don't look so surprised. You slept well. It's already 11.20. 11.20? On Sunday morning. Sunday. Now, I must get on. The bathroom is through there. You'll find what you need, toothbrush and so on. But if you need anything else, please ask. A boiled egg do you for breakfast with some bread and butter? Sorry I can't get you a newspaper. We don't have English newspapers no, here. No, wait. Wait. Who are you? You may call me Jane. No, I, I didn't mean that. I, 
I meant... Oh, I'm so confused. Is this a hospital? No. Nothing like that. Well, then why am I here? I shouldn't ask questions. Oh, please, please, I must know. I remember going into that caravan with my husband. Tuck, my husband, where is he? Quite safe. I want to see him. He'll know what to do. I, I want to see him. Uh, that's impossible. Now, drink your tea and try to relax. Don't go, please, please. Um, a moment ago, did you say something about not having English papers here? That's right. Well, then where am I? The windows, they're barred. Am I a prisoner? Am I? For the time being. Oh. But you're not badly off, uh, are you? A beautiful room, lovely view, comfortable bed. Do what I say, relax. You will come to no harm if you relax and accept things. I'll bring breakfast in a half hour. Oh, and your clothes are there in the closet. Wait. Wait. Wait, please. I want to see my husband. Unlock this door and let me out. Do you hear? I want to see my husband. Open this door, please. Let me out of it. How is the woman? A bit bewildered. I don't think she's fully taken it in yet. And the man, Stoddart. What about him, Carol? He's stubborn, Victor. He refuses to wear the uniform. In fact, he has torn it to shreds. And he will not use his number. You are too soft with him, perhaps. Well, short of beating him up physically, what else can we do? Starve him. He has had no food since we arrived here. Good. Keep him hungry. And don't let him sleep. Visit the cellar. His cell. Every half hour. Keep the pressure on. We have to weaken his resolve. Make him feel disorientated. Helpless. Mrs. Stoddart seems very nice, a decent woman. That's enough, Jane. We must be on our guard against pity or any kind of sentiment. We must not build any sort of personal relationship with either of the prisoners. We must be utterly ruthless if we are to succeed. Clear? Yes, comrade. Victor? Yeah? Suppose the Prime Minister had not entered the caravan. What would we have done? Is that what you mean? Yes. I mean, our whole plan was based on the premise that he would rise to the bait and going to have his fortune told. Well, suppose he hadn't. We would have prepared another plan and waited for another day, another opportunity. Exactly. Now, personally, I had little doubt he would enter the caravan. He cannot resist playing to the crowd, you see. <laughs> when will you begin to interrogate him? Tomorrow, perhaps. We shall see. Victor. What is it, Valchik? The British government has just put out a statement. It was on the BBC a few minutes ago. What did it say? That the Prime Minister and his wife have disappeared in mysterious circumstances. <laughs> Very mysterious circumstances. <laughs> was anything said about kidnapping? Yes. The statement hedges a bit. It stresses that little is known at the moment, but that there is a strong possibility that the Stoddards have been kidnapped by a terrorist gang. The Deputy Prime Minister has taken over and a special committee of the Inner Cabinet has been set up to deal with the emergency. No mention of the plane? No. Good. So far, so good. So far, so very good.
Gentlemen, this is Commander Knowles, who is in charge of the investigation. Commander, let me introduce Sir Maurice Jennings and Kevin Fraser. Commander. Thank you, Home Secretary. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning. Good morning. These gentlemen, Commander, as you've probably guessed, represent the two main arms of our security services. Sir Maurice is from five and Mr Fraser from six. In view of the report you sent down, I thought it best to have them here. Of course. Incidentally, gentlemen, at the first meeting of the Emergency Cabinet Committee, which took place an hour ago, it was decided, for the sake of convenience, to give this investigation the codename Westminster One. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, any further news on that aircraft, Commander? Not a lot, Home Secretary. The Cherokee 180 has a range of about 500 miles with a standard fuel capacity of 36 gallons. If it carried auxiliary tanks, the range might be increased by another 200 to 300 miles. In other words, it could make northern Italy, northern Spain, anywhere in France, Switzerland, west or east Germany. Ireland? Of course. Well, the information we have so far would suggest that the plane went the other way. In fact, uh, that it was probably heading for Czechoslovakia. That's not possible. Why? Once over East Germany, the pilot could easily have put down to refuel. With respect, I, I didn't mean that, sir. What did you mean? Only, well, I know there are hard-line governments in East Germany and Czechoslovakia, but I find it hard to believe that either of them would support a terrorist outrage of this nature. The international repercussions would be horrific. Oh, yes, you could well be right. May I ask the commander if he has any information as to the ownership of the plane? No, not yet. I have a man at the Civil Aviation Authority now checking the list of Piper Cherokees registered in the UK. I understand that there are some 304 planes on the list, so it'll take time to check their movements. But in the meantime, Home Secretary, may I make a suggestion? Yes, go ahead. I was wondering if it would be possible for Mr Fraser and his department... To make some discreet inquiries. <laughs> inquiries? Where? Well, that's up to you, but I would have thought, well, East Germany, Czechoslovakia, for starters. You want me to pop over there and ask if they have purloined our PM, is that it? You said, only a few moments ago, that you could not believe that either the Czech or East German governments would support a terrorist coup, right? Oh, yeah, I did, and I'm still of the same opinion. Fine. Then why not put it to the test? You must have some contact in the region who could ask the right questions in the right places and come up with a few answers. Well, how about it, Fraser? Well, uh, I think I might be able to put something together, Home Secretary. Excellent. Now, I know that Sir Morris wants to have a few words about this fellow George Sharp, yes. the young man who disappeared with Mr and Mrs Stoddard. Afternoon, Fraser. Welcome to Berlin. Ah, Sunderland. Let me take that bag. Thanks. Good flight? No short-haul flight is ever good, man. You spend more time on the ground at the airport than you do in the air. But it was adequate. Now then, have you fixed this meeting? Mr. Lashwood? Yes? Commander Knowles. And this is Detective Inspector Wiley. Oh, yes. We've met. How are you, Inspector? Oh, surviving. 
Just about. Can you spare a moment, Mr Lashwood? No, of course. It's about this fellow George Sharp, the lad who played the fortune teller at the Oakfield Fate. Uh-huh. Look, come through to the back. I've got some comfortable chairs on the lawn and some cold beer in the fridge. There we are. Ah, and cheers. 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 George Sharp. Hmm. I know very little about him, really. He moved to Oakfield about six months ago. As far as I know, he came from London. He joined the Stapleton ward of our local party, and within a month or so he was elected secretary. Fast going. Not really. There's not a great deal of competition for the job these days, and he was a worker, you see, always willing to take on the boring jobs. The odd thing is that he seemed happy to do just that, you know. I mean, he didn't identify with any of the factions in the movement. He just slogged away. So, when they wanted a secretary, he sort of took over. What uh, what part of London did he come from? He didn't say, at least he never told me. Why did he come to Oakfield? Again, I couldn't say for sure. I have an idea he worked as some sort of rep for a double-glazing firm, but mm-hmm. that didn't last. I think he was unemployed most of the time. I know it sounds odd, but at the time I was only too glad to have a youngster who was prepared to work. You know what I mean? Yes. When you're short-handed, you don't ask too many questions. There was one thing that puzzled me about him. Yes. Well, not puzzled, that's too strong. I mean, but there were moments when I wondered if he was English-born. I was saying as much to my secretary yesterday. His English was a little too perfect, too pure. You know what I mean? But what is clear now is that Sharp played a central role in the plot to kidnap the Prime Minister. That's almost certainly why he came here six Mm. months ago. Mm. That caravan, the one he used for the fortune-telling, must have taken weeks to prepare. Special steel door, reinforced shutters, all that. He must have had money, associates. Who were his friends locally? I wouldn't have a clue. I don't think he had many. I'll talk to Sue. Sue? Sue Swinton, my secretary. She's more Sharp's age. She might know. Hmm. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Uh, Leswood. Is there anything you can tell me? I mean, have the kidnappers been in touch? No. Do you think the Prime Minister and his wife are still alive? Prisoner 50810, you are wanted for interrogation. Move! Interrogation? Move, I said! Now the hunt was really on. At first, the news of the kidnapping of the Prime Minister and his wife had been met by a shocked, incredulous silence. But this was followed by a deep anger among the people at large and by an almost unprecedented mobilisation of the forces of law and order. Hundreds of extremists were rounded up and questioned. And, because the evidence suggested that the victims had been flown out of the country, possibly to Eastern Europe, the security services began to make their own inquiries. Will this table be all right, Mr. Sondland? Fine, Otto, fine. Sit yourself down, Fraser. Oh, thanks. Two large scotches, Otto, please. Uh, no, not for me. Uh, it's a bit uh, Rubbish. Uh, Neat for me, Otto, and I know Mr. Fraser would like two cubes of ice. No, no, and... really. I'll have a coffee, please. Black. Very good, sir. And bring a vodka on the rocks. Vodka? For our friend when he comes. One black coffee, one large scotch, one vodka on the rocks. You are known here, I see. Oh, I'm a popular figure in old Berlin. Actually, I, I, I like this place. I meet all sorts of interesting people here. I have no doubt. 
can we talk here? If you don't shout. You know why I'm here, don't you? No, but don't tell me if it hurts. Is anything the matter? Oh, no. I just happen to be area controller. I just happen to have responsibility for all operations in this area. I get a signal from London telling me to set up a meeting between you and the East Germans. But nobody tells me what for. Fine, fine. Okay by me. If the centre wants to play games, now fine. don't get uptight, old chap. Well, that's good. Then cafe. Then vodka. Thanks, Otto. Bitter, bitter. Listen. I'm here because of the Prime Minister. Now, you must have guessed that. We have evidence which suggests that he and his wife have been taken to Czechoslovakia. Czechoslovakia rubbish. Who dreamed up that one? Well, that's what I said. Nevertheless, I've been asked, well, ordered, to come and check it out. What the hell would the Czechs want with the British Prime Minister? Uh, good question. To screw a few secrets out of him? Oh, he doesn't know many. Ministers only know as much as we choose to tell. Hold on. Here it comes. The name is Eicher, Herr Dieter Eicher. Good afternoon, Mr. Sunderland. Ah, Herr Eicher, glad you could come. Uh, will you join us for a drink? That is kind of you. A vodka would be most welcome. Uh, on the rocks? Oh, you remember. I never forget a face or the drink that goes with it. One vodka on the rocks. Your memory and your anticipation do you credit, Mr. Sunderland. Allow me to introduce Mr. Fraser of our London office. Uh, how do you do? I do very well, Mr. Fraser, but uh, not so your good selves, correct? I don't understand. Oh, come now, Mr. Fraser. You have, uh, how is the word? You have mislaid your Prime Minister. <gasps> Most careless. Well, mislaid is not the word I would have used. Perhaps not. However, you wish to talk to my people about this problem. I do have certain questions I wish to ask, yes. Then let us proceed. First question. I would like you to discover from the Czech and East German authorities if they have any knowledge of any light aircraft crossing their airspace. Come in. Get inside. <laughs> the prisoner, Commander. Ah, excellent. Remove the blindfold. Yes, Commander. <coughs> Are you in charge? Silence! No, 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 Valchik. Let him speak. I want to protest in the strongest possible terms. Yes, yes, of course you do. But apart from the protest, are you all right? All right. I've been kidnapped, forcibly abducted to this country. I've been physically assaulted. I've had no food in two days, no opportunity to wash, nothing. And you ask if I'm all right. I was just trying to be polite. You are a guest, after all. I don't appreciate your humour, if that's what you call it. You must realise that I am known personally to the Prime Minister of your country. You are, are you? I cannot believe that either he or his government can be involved in this madness. I wish to telephone him at once. I demand to do so! No sign of your friend, Eike. He'll be here, Fraser. Don't worry. Is he reliable? 
He's an agent. What do you think? I mean, if he comes up with the answers to my questions, can we rely on those answers? Yes, utterly. Well, how can you be so damn sure? Because in this instance, he stands to gain nothing from mine, <sighs> nor do his masters. Ah, here he is now. Ereika, would you care to take a ride round the block? Thank you. I will come directly to the point, Mr. Fraser. I'm instructed to inform you that the most searching inquiries have been made. As a result, we can say that neither Czechoslovakia nor any country in the so-called Eastern Bloc has any knowledge of or involvement with the abduction of the British Prime Minister and his wife. Indeed, the authorities concerned strongly resent any suggestion that they might be implicated in this flagrant breach of international law. I can accept that. But I must ask, can your people be sure that Mr. and Mrs. Stoddart are not on Czech or East European soil? That they are not being held by some independent terrorist group without the knowledge of the authorities? Mr. Fraser, that is almost, if not quite impossible. There are no terrorist groups in Eastern Europe. They would not be tolerated. However, I've been instructed to inform you that further inquiries will be made as a matter of urgency. I am obliged. Perhaps you would be kind enough to drop me off on the next corner by the Botanischer Garten. You have nothing more to tell me? No, but I will give you one piece of advice. Gratis. Mm -hmm. Tell your people to look elsewhere, Mr. Fraser. Your Prime Minister is not in Eastern Europe or Russia. Perhaps it is simply that the kidnappers wished you to think so. What do the detective stories call it? A red herring. Exactly. A red herring. There's something here I don't understand. We shall try to make it all clear. Be patient. You're British. What I am is immaterial. It is what you are that is important. What you are and who you are. You are British. The other people I've met, with one exception, they are also British. Oh, you've dressed them in uniforms with red stars and so forth, but they are British, I'd swear to that. Victor, how much longer are you going to let him gabble on? You're right, he's becoming a bore. What do you want? If it's ransom, let me tell you there's Mr. no possibility... Mr. Prime Minister, we are not here for ransom. You have not been kidnapped, you've been arrested. And you're being held here as an enemy of the people to face certain charges. What are you talking about? What charges? They will be framed later, when your interrogation is complete. Interrogation? This is ridiculous, monstrous. By what right what do you think yourself... monstrous, Stoddart? Is your betrayal of the people, of everything you once stood for? You have to answer for that betrayal, understand? We are going to take you through your entire life, point by point. We're going to examine every political move you've ever made, uncover and study each mistake. And at the end, you will see those mistakes as clearly as you see me now. You will understand them and you will admit them. Admit oh, what? yes. When we finish with you, Mr. Prime Minister, you will confess your errors to the whole world and be happy to do so. Thank you, gentlemen. Make yourselves comfortable. Excellent. Uh, may we smoke, Home Secretary? That pipe of yours? <laughs> Far be it from me to deprive you of your simple pleasures, Morris. Right. Well, uh, shall we begin with your report, Mr. Fraser? Aye, well, it's very brief, sir. We've made certain inquiries, the result of which leads us to believe that the Prime Minister and his wife are not in Czechoslovakia. 
nor are they being held in any other iron-curtain country. Hmm. Uh, can we rely on this information? Oh, as near as makes no difference. It is 99% accurate. Any comment, Commander Knowles? Only that I'm not surprised. It chimes with my own thinking. Which is? That we've been putting too much importance on that damn plane. I believe now that it was a decoy. A deliberate ploy to put us off the scent. Look, two people are snatched. Within minutes... A mysterious aircraft with its markings blacked out takes off from nearby. We naturally assume that the victims are aboard. And that assumption is further strengthened when we find an abandoned van at the airport. And in that van a note about wind velocities which is written in check. Put like that, it does all seem a little too pat. Exactly. We were meant to find that van and the note. Come on, you said that the plane was a decoy. In what sense? Uh, do you mean that the Prime Minister and his wife were not on board? It's possible, sir. They could have been taken away by other means. So are you suggesting we abandon the search for the aircraft? No, not at all. Whoever flew that plane, decoy or not, is up to his ears in this business. We have to find him. Has anyone been in touch? Any ransom demand? No. Nothing. What the hell is their motive? First of all, Mr. Prime Minister, we shall begin with a simple exercise. I want you to write an essay. An essay? A self-critical essay on your life, your beliefs, your mistakes. I don't know what you're talking about. We shall give you pencil and paper and... Don't will... bother. You and the rest of your little gang can go to hell. Watch your mouth. <coughs> no, Archie, that will do. That's enough, I said. I, I know who you are. Now, you, he, he called you Valtic, but in England you went under the name of George Sharp. The police... Shut up! To him. Shut up! Leave us, Valtic. Leave us, I said. You let him get away with too much. Sit down. Uh, here. Would you like a cigarette? Coffee? No. I'm sorry about the uh, violence. Really? How kind. Valchik is, well, headstrong. Is that what you call it? If you cooperate, it'll be much easier for you. In any case, what harm can it do to write a few hundred words? Why should I? Don't you believe that you've made mistakes? I mean, you were an idealist once. A fighter with ideas about serving the people. What made you change? Because you have changed and you know it. If you want a political debate, try someone else. I've just been punched in the guts and I'm not in the mood. Sooner or later you will write and you will talk. We have time. We're not in a hurry. Now you must go back to your cell. Colin, Commander, replace the blindfold and take the prisoner down. Sir, wait. My wife... Is in good health. I want... To see her? Of course. Keep still, you. You shall see her later. But remember, I'm granting you a privilege. Do not abuse it. Come on. Uh, I said, come on. <laughs> well? Nothing. He's a stubborn old man. Did he ask about his wife? Oh, yes, he asked to see her. So I graciously gave him permission. Is that wise? Oh, yeah. We must keep him guessing. 
We'll slacken the tension for a few hours and then pile on the pressure with renewed force. You will continue to play the heavy and I will take the more sympathetic role. We'll jerk him up and down like a yo-yo. Within a couple of days, he'll be so weak and disorientated. He'll do exactly as we say. I hope you're right. He's tougher than I thought. He's nobody's fool. You don't get to be a prime minister if you're a fool, Valchik. A rogue, yes, but not a fool. Smoking? I thought you'd given up that rubbish. I just felt the need. I mean, you have to have something, haven't you? Why? I don't feel the uh, need, as you put it. You you are hardly human in that respect. <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say so. Well, I'm going to get some coffee. Oh, incidentally, we've delivered our first communique to the British government. It should give them food for thought and give us a little more time. A communique, Maurice, a so-called communique. It's dated as of yesterday, and it was put through the letterbox of our consulate in Paris, probably sometime last night. Paris? Mm, no one saw who delivered it, unfortunately. A copy's on its way to you by messenger, so I'll briefly summarise. Yes. Uh, first, the communique comes from someone calling himself, or I suppose it could be herself, since there's no name, someone called the Commander of Number One Field Unit of the People's Action Brigade. Oh, that's a new one on me, Home Secretary. You've never heard of it? No. People's Action Brigade. Mm. No, I'll, I'll check, of course, and I'll have a word with Special Branch. Odd that the note should have been delivered in Paris. Yes, my hunch is that it's another red herring. Mm, could well be. They claim to be holding the PM and his wife. Actually, the word used is arrest. They say that the PM has been arrested. Oh, it's crazy. Are there any demands? Nothing much. They only want us to withdraw all British troops from Ireland within 30 days. <laughs> is that all? Well, not quite. We're to release all political prisoners and detainees at the same time. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. And if we don't? Well, they say the PM will be held personally responsible for any failure on our part. Well, that's about it. What do you think? I don't know. The People's Action Brigade. It doesn't have the stamp of the IRA about it. I'd say it was some kind of new extremist organization. But that's only a guess. Well, let's not rely on guesswork. You'll do the necessary in the, in the way of inquiries. Uh, of course. Uh, how do you intend to answer these people? Uh, will you negotiate? No, oh, I can't. All we've got is a blunt ultimatum. They haven't given us any contact point. And, of course, there's no question of acceding to their demands. The Cabinet took a decision uh, six months ago that in the event of anything like this happening, a minister or a high official being kidnapped, mm. no ransom would be paid and no other demands accepted, no. whatever the consequences. The consequences in this case might be pretty bloody. If they killed the PM... Morris, it was the PM himself who proposed the Cabinet resolution. God... Poor devil. I wonder how he feels about it now. Hmm. Good question. A very good question. They're taking a hell of a time to check out those planes, Wiley. Chase them up. I did that this morning, Commander. And? Well, I've got the details here in a report from Detective Chief Inspector Watley. Hmm. You're uh, going to keep it to yourself, are you? Well, you haven't exactly been available, sir. I haven't exactly been sitting up. Never mind. Sorry. Get on with it, then. Now, there are 304 Cherokees registered in the UK. Every yeah. plane on the list has now been checked out. 137 planes were grounded on Saturday, so they've been eliminated. Yeah. 167 planes were airborne. Now, after checking with the air traffic control and the owners, 
A further 129 were eliminated, and that leaves 38. Mm -hmm. And of those 38, any one was in a position to put Dana Oakfield at the relevant time. And for the time being at least, a further 31 of these have been eliminated. Leaving seven. Yes, and all seven went to nominated destinations in Europe. And five of those have been accounted for. And then there were two. Now, the first. Now, this was owned and piloted by Dr Marvin Laird of Amersham in Bucks. Now, he took off for the weekend to visit friends in Liège. He had his wife and son with him, but there's no report of the plane landing at Liège or anywhere else. Ah, has he got any form, anything known? No. Been in Amersham 16 years, highly respected and respectable. So was Crippin before he took to murder. Now, the second plane belongs to Joss Paul. Joss, am I supposed to know who that gentleman is? Sorry, sir, he's the pop singer. Quite famous. Ah. Now, he took off for Luxembourg with two girlfriends, and he didn't land there. Two girlfriends? Some people have all the luck. Yeah, so, two planes unaccounted for. Well, it's possible they put Dane on a private strip without bothering to get clearance. It's illegal, of course, but, well, it can be done. This, uh, pop singer, you say he went for the weekend? Uh, no, sir, that was Dr. Laird, and, uh... He hasn't returned? No. Not when this report was written. Right. Now, tell Chief Inspector Watling to do two things. First... Chase up Dr. Laird and the pop singer hard. Right, sir. The French police interpol the lot. Yes. Next, tell him to run a second check and a third on all the Piper Cherokees that were airborne last Saturday. That's 167 planes, I sir. know, I know. I will do, sir. Driver, drop me off here and come back for me in 30 minutes. Wiley, you get back to HQ and talk to Chief Inspector Watling about the planes. Where will you be, sir? I'm going to see Lashwood, the fellow who organised the fate. We already have his statement, Commander, and we checked him out. He's clean. Yeah, that's the funny thing about this case. Everyone we talk to is clean. Come in. Mr. Lashley. Ah, Commander Knowles. Come in, please. Thank you. Sue, do you think you could stop murdering that typewriter for a few minutes? Sorry. Sue Swinton, Commander, my girl Friday. Hello, Miss Swinton. Clear a chair, will you, Sue? Right. Sorry about the primitive surroundings, Commander. Um, you want to talk, I take it? Ah, uh, thank you. Uh, yes, that was the idea. Ah, uh, now, uh, well, what can I do for you? Sharp, Mr Lashwood. George Sharp. The young man who went into the caravan with the Prime Minister, remember? But we went over all that yesterday. I've told you all I know. You've told me damn all. Oh, now, look, this fellow was here. In Oakfield for six months. He was one of your members. Mm. He was active. You must have met him at a dozen meetings, talked to him, maybe drank with him. He plays a leading part in your garden party, your fate. So much so that he manages to bring a bloody armour-plated caravan onto the site, into which he lures the British Prime Minister and his wife. All that. And yet... This George Sharp is as anonymous as an envelope with no address on but it. But I told you that's exactly how he was. Look, excuse me, I've some shopping to do. I know, uh, Miss Swinton. Um, maybe you can help. Did you know Sharp? Well, not really. Oh, from all accounts, he was a good-looking young man. Did he have a girlfriend? Not to my knowledge. Friends? I mean, did he have any particular friend in the area? I, I honestly don't know. Did he have money? Not noticeably. If he had, he didn't chuck it about. He was unemployed, wasn't he, Sue? I believe so. He didn't sign on for unemployment benefit. There's no record of him at the local DHSS. Well, I'm not surprised now. Are you, Commander? No, but I'm mystified. How is it possible for someone to live in a community for six months without leaving a mark? 
There was nothing in his lodgings. He'd cleaned the room out. No photograph, nothing. So, get the photograph file, will you? All right. We publish a monthly bulletin called Labour Voice. A couple of months back, we printed a photograph, a group photograph, of local supporters. Come on, Sue. Here it is. Thank you. No. No. Ah, here it is. Damn, he isn't in it. I could have sworn... Well, that's that. I would have laid odds. Hold it, Sue, the other file, the, the reject pictures. Get it quick. Okay. I remember now, we had these pictures taken on the lawn at the back of the co-op hall. George Sharp was there and... Uh... Here. Oh. Got it. That's it. That's the one. Mm. You see? There he is, in the background. Just as the picture was being taken, he came out of the hall and got included in the shot. Mm -hmm. It threw the photograph out of balance, so I rejected it. Why wasn't he included in the other pictures? I don't know. As soon as he realised that we were taking photographs, he sloped off. Uh -huh. Determined to remain anonymous, no doubt. But this picture will do. It should blow up nicely. In a few hours, the photograph of George Sharp will appear on millions of television screens in every national newspaper, home and abroad. Someone out there must know him. Someone out there must be able to give us a lead. Three ducks on a pond, a green bank beyond, a blue sky of spring and birds on the wing. What a little thing to remember for years, to remember with tears. <sighs> Then out spoke brave Horatius, the captain of the gate. To every man upon this earth, death cometh soon or late. And how can man die better than facing fearful odds for the ashes of his fathers and the temples of his gods? What are you doing? Occupying the time. I have an excellent memory, you see, and it's amazing how much verse you can remember if you put your mind... Will you never learn? Your instructions were to stand against the wall when anyone entered this cell and give your prison number when spoken to. Listen, my friend... I have had enough of games. This is no game, Storat. You must understand that for your own sake. Well, it is a sort of game, shall we say. Look, let me show you something. This room, cellar, whatever you like to call it, has been carefully made up to look like a cell in a Czech prison. You even went to the trouble of scratching odd names and dates on the walls to give the impression that other prisoners had been here. A clever touch, but not clever enough. Now, you see this name here? Joseph Carvas. And after it, the date, 1954. But, you see, I knew Carvas quite well. He was arrested and shot in 1956, not 1954. I know because I sent a strong protest to the Czech government at the time. A name scratched on a wall? Well, what does that signify? That someone is playing games. And then again, that so-called prison uniform you tried to make me wear. I tore it to pieces, remember? Now, all the outer labels had been removed, but there was one inside, an English label from a firm in Leicester. Are you trying to tell me that the Czech authorities buy their prison gear from England? And why don't I hear or see any other prisoners? You want me to believe that we're in Czechoslovakia, all right? Say something to me in Czech or in Slovak. Go on. That's enough. Come on. You can't. Most of you are British. So what's this play-acting for? What's it all about? I told you, it is no game, no play. Now come. I am not going anywhere until someone not tells me... Not even to see your wife? My wife. We promised you that you should... And we keep our promises. Like this. Look at me. Do you want to see her or not? Oh, yes. Yes. Here, let me remove the blindfold. Right. 
Very well. You have 15 minutes. Jess? Jess? Jack. 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 Oh, Jack. Oh, Jack. Jess. Oh, Jess. Oh, Jack. Oh, It was now almost four days since the Prime Minister and his wife had been kidnapped. Responsibility had been claimed by a group calling itself the People's Action Brigade. The papers called them extremists, but in my book they were just plain loony. Either way, they were dangerous. At first it was believed that the PM had been taken to Eastern Europe, but this possibility had now been eliminated. The investigation team, under the leadership of Commander Knowles of Scotland Yard, had also managed to circulate a photograph of one of the key members of the gang. But that was about as far as they'd got. As the papers usually put it, progress was painfully slow. Meantime, after the initial shock of his capture, the Prime Minister, Jack Stoddart, was beginning to challenge his captors. And, for the first time, they allowed him to see his wife, Jess. Jack. Oh, Jack. Jack. Steady, Nola, steady. Oh. Are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. Fine, truly. The room is nice and they've treated me well, but... You... Oh, God, what have they done to you? Nothing too serious. But look at you, your, your clothes, your face... <laughs> My accommodation isn't quite up to this standard. They call it a cell. No washing facilities, no razor. Do you, uh, you think a beard will suit oh, me? Oh, no, don't joke, Jack. What about food? Not much. Potato soup, dry bread. Here, here, look. On the table, it's my breakfast. I've hardly touched it. Toast, butter, tea. Now, you sit down and eat. No, we haven't time. They've only given me a few minutes. We can talk while you eat. Now, come on. I don't want it. I don't need it. All right. I could do with something. Jack, who are they? What do they want? God knows. And where are we? I don't know that either. Uh, they tried to make me believe that we were in Eastern Europe, Czechoslovakia, but I've exploded that one. But I th I mean... The girl said there were no English papers here, and I seem to remember being on a plane. We were meant to think that, but it was a fake. We were blindfolded. They probably played a tape recording of sound to simulate the interior of a plane. Oh. <laughs> They've simulated a lot of things, like this place. It isn't a prison. Does this look like a room in a prison? Armchairs, a good bed, books, breakfast on a tray? No. No, I think we're in some sort of country house. And what they call my cell is a cellar. Where? Where? Like I said, I don't know. But I have a hunch that we're in England. England? I don't think we ever left it. God, this toast is gone. Oh, eat it all. Go on. Now, why should they want us to think we'd been taken abroad? Partly, I suspect, to fool the British authorities. And partly to frighten us, to make us more pliable. What are they after? Ransom what? Not ransom. They're... Well, they're some sort of loony left group. They say that I've betrayed the working class. Oh, Jack. 
Maybe they're right. Don't talk like that. They want to put me on trial, make me confess my sins. Well, they are mad. Well, enough of that. Where are you going? I've got a bathroom all sweet, would you believe? And I'm going to run you a nice hot bath. Yes, they'll be back soon. We have to talk. We can talk while you take a bath. And if they come before you're finished, they'll have to ruddy well wait, won't they? Right, comrades. Settle <clears throat> down. I've called you together to review the situation so far and to consider our next steps. Carol, your report on the male prisoner. Well, he continues to be obstinate, defiant, you could say. Oh, he's no fool. He has realised that we are not in Czechoslovakia. I think he already knows that we are in Britain. Of course he knows. And shall I tell you why? Because we have been careless and slipshod. Worse, we've been weak and vacillating. Are you accusing me? I'm accusing everyone. For example, where is Stoddart now? He's with his wife. Exactly. The prisoner has been given compassionate leave to visit his wife. What rubbish! He should have been kept to his cell, forced to wear the uniform, made to feel like a prisoner. We should have piled on the pressure in order to break his spirit. You mean use more violence? Yes, if necessary. Listen, this operation has two aims, correct? Correct. And may I remind you that we've succeeded 100% with the first aim? Mm -hmm. We intended to cock a snook at the establishment, the police, all the power of bourgeois society by lifting their top man, their, their chief lackey. Right from under their noses. And we have done it. We have done it. We have shaken it's some. It's true. You have to admit that, Valchik. Yeah. So, three cheers. But what about our secondary target? We were going to take this Prime Minister of theirs, pin him to a board and dissect him. But what happens? We start to feel sorry for him and for his lady wife. Oh, that's not oh, true. not you so much, Victor. Oh, thank you. But Carol here and Jane... No, you I've don't. seen it in your faces. You're thinking... He's an old man of 60. He's the son of a miner. He, he's a human being, after all, and we all make mistakes. And his wife is a good, decent woman. If well, I can read this rotten sentimentality in your eyes, so can Stoddart. You can bet money on that. Why else do you think he's obstinate, defiant? Because he sees the weakness in you also. May I say something? You have the floor. I know it's stupid, irrational, but I can't take the violent bit. <sighs> It's one thing to think of it as a political necessity, but to carry it out, to see it being done, no. And not just the physical violence, the other side too. Half-starving the man, letting him live in filth, I can't take it. But we did discuss all this, Jane. I know, but oh, there's a difference between theory and practice. I mean, like the wife, I used to think of her as a dull, smug old bitch. But she isn't really. Well, she's a nice person, a decent person. Oh, nonsense! And her husband hasn't given her much of a life. Right. Get into that water and have a good soak. You don't have a razor? I didn't think to bring one with me. <laughs> Jess, you're a marvel. Say that again. Why? Only that it's a long time since... So... Oh, never mind. Now, in you go. Right. <laughs> Marvellous. Oh, it's great. Hot enough? Perfect. Jess, listen. Mm -hmm. We have to think this thing out carefully. They won't be able to hold us for long. Our people, with all their resources, will be working night and day to find us. Sooner or later, they'll succeed. Well, I wish I had your confidence. They will, Jess, they will. And our job is to survive until then. Survival. That's the thing, you see. It's all we have. 
At the moment, the strength is on their side. We have to hang on. Look, I'm not thinking of myself. You never do, Lass. No, seriously. I mean, it's not so bad for me up here, but you, what they're doing to you now and what they plan to do frightens me. Shush, don't worry about me. Oh. I'm tougher than you think. Tougher than they think. What's the saying? It's an ill wind that blows nobody any good. Do you know, since I've been here, I haven't had any of those summer cramps. Must be the rich living. Oh, Jack, how can you show? <laughs> it's the best way, isn't it? I tell you what, when we get out of here, we'll have a holiday. Go away together, just the two of us. We haven't done that in years. Where have I heard that before? I shouldn't make any promises you can't keep. No, I mean it this time. I really mean it. We'll see. Now then, you give me that soap and I'll give your hair a good wash. It's filthy. Yes, Jane has raised an important point. She's expressed her feelings with total honesty, as we would expect. Let me put my view of the matter. First, it's no disgrace to feel sympathy, pity. Such human feelings are natural. On the other hand, as revolutionaries, we must recognise that, in certain circumstances, those same human feelings can also betray us. To be a true revolutionary, one has to learn to discipline one's emotions and to use them for the good of the cause. It's not enough to hate capitalism objectively, impersonally. It's necessary to hate the capitalists themselves, to develop a deep revolutionary hatred for our enemies... And to that end, we must enrol our emotions. Make them... Who's that? Karen, take a look. Okay. It's Sonby in the jeep. Oh, all right. We'll adjourn the meeting until this afternoon. Let's hope it will prove to be more useful than the discussion we just had. You're becoming cynical, comrade. It's the company I keep. What's that supposed to mean? It means that we talk too much. That's all too much discussion. Well, we'll argue it out later. How now, Thornby? What news from the world outside? Here. All the morning papers. And his bloody picture is on the front page of every one. What? Valchik, your photograph. Oh, no. Where did they get that? You were warned. You had instructions. No photographs. I don't know how they got that. I was careful. But not you... bloody careful enough. It's not so bad. They haven't got Valchik's real name. They've named the man in the picture as George Sharp. Well, it's not so bad. Bad enough. Right. We're not in any danger yet. It took us a year to plan this operation and they won't find it easy to break our cover. All the same, it would be a mistake to underestimate the authorities. So, in view of this latest development, I propose that we speed up our plans. We'll send the government another communique and we'll start tightening the screws on Stoddart. There we are. Yes, your hair's more or less dry. Thanks. Oh, I could have soaked in that bath for hours. You feel better? A million times. They're here. I knew it was too good to last. Wait here. Put that towel round you. I'll see to them. Ah, there you are, Mrs Stoddart. Time's up. Where is he? He's in there, in the bathroom. And he is staying there until I get some satisfaction out of you lot. Don't give us any trouble or trouble. it will be... You'll have plenty of that. Now, look... Do you see what these are? His clothes. The filth you made him wear. What are you, animals, that you can treat a person so, locking him up, half-starving him? Well, it's enough, I tell you, enough. 
He's not going anywhere. He is staying here with me. And you won't separate us again if you bring a whole army. Out of my way, woman. No. Uh, Leave it be. No. No, Valchick, no. You stay out of this. Out. Come on, out here. Out here where I can see you. Listen, I don't intend Jack, Jack, to stand careful. By. He has a gun. Which I will use if necessary. There is no need Shut to... up. I know what is necessary. Yes, are you all right? Yes, I'm fine. You, Madame Stoddart, get into that bathroom and stay there until you have our permission to leave. I have no Move. intention, Mrs. Stoddart. Do as he says, lass. Remember what I said. Hang on, don't give up. Oh, Jack. Now, if you hurt my husband, if he comes to Move, any harm... I said to her long, Jess. All right, Jack. Take care, love. Right. I see that you still don't understand us, Mr. Stoddart. You haven't lost your illusions of grandeur. Perhaps this will help you to learn humility. All I have to do is squeeze this trigger, a very gentle squeeze. And where would you be then? I wouldn't be much use to you, dead. Oh, don't deceive yourself. We don't really care one way or the other. What's this, then? Sweat. You are sweating. Imagine that. What is it, fear? Are you afraid of me, perhaps? Afraid of death? You've been watching too many American television shows. You even remember the dialogue. <laughs> That's the first lesson. When I have finished, you will have learned to hold your tongue. You will have learned to fear me. Now, we have brought you a uniform. Here. You have 30 seconds to put it on. But if the cut isn't good enough for one of your elevated position, or should you not like the colour, don't be concerned. We are reasonable people. We shall be quite happy to allow you to go back to your cell naked. And during an extended question time in the House, the Home Secretary was pressed further ah. by the leader of the opposition, James Lang. Here it comes. Turn it up a bit, will you, Wiley? Sir. As the Minister is aware, we on these benches have no wish to embarrass or harass the government at this difficult time. But is he, but is he aware also of our deep concern at the apparent failure of the police and the security services to track down these criminals? Is he, is he satisfied that everything possible is being done? Yes, I am satisfied, Mr. Speaker. I can assure the right honourable gentleman opposite, and indeed the whole House, that I have complete confidence in the police and the security services. This is a very difficult and complicated case, but the police have already gathered a great deal of valuable information and are currently following some new leads. I hope the right honourable gentleman, the leader of the opposition, will not press me further in what is clearly a delicate area. Oh, very well, I shall not pursue that point. But may I ask the minister if the government has had any communication from the kidnappers? And in the event, in the event of contact being made, would the government be prepared to negotiate for the release of the Prime Minister and his wife? Mr Speaker, the, gov the government has already made it quite clear that it will not, under any circumstances, 
give in to blackmail of any kind from whatever source. Indeed, the Prime Minister, the Prime Minister himself, was responsible for a resolution in Cabinet which laid down this policy. No ransom, no capitulation to criminal demands, whatever the cost. That is our attitude, and it will remain our attitude. Having said that, Mr. Speaker... We shall continue to bend all our energies to secure the safe return of the Prime Minister and Mrs. Stoddart. Yes. I can tell the House that both the Swiss and the Algerian uh, governments have offered their services as mediators. Well, the Home Secretary seems to know more than we do, sir. What new leads was he talking about? I wish I knew. What's the latest on the aircraft? Uh, it's down to six now, sir. All the others have been eliminated, including the two which went missing last weekend. All six have been investigated once, sir. Uh, they're now being rechecked. Mr Tompkins, Mr Ben Tompkins. Yes? Detective Inspector Martin, your office told me I might find you, sir. <laughs> my secretary knows my drinking habits too well. <laughs> Actually, I do have a dinner date. I just popped in for a quick one. Oh, that's all right, sir. This won't take more than a minute or so. Can I get you a drink, Inspector? Uh, well, I'll have a half of that draught bitter, if I may, thank you. A half of draught bitter, please, Cheryl. They're coming up. Now, what is it, Inspector? If it's about my pipe of Cherokee, I've already made a statement to the police. Oh, we're just double-checking, Mr Tompkins, just to see if you might have remembered uh, anything else. Here we are. Oh. Uh, keep the change, Cheryl. Ah. Thanks, Ben. Cheers. Cheers. Well, the answer to your question is in the negative, I'm afraid, Inspector. I did take a solo trip last Saturday from Biggin Hill. I could have put down at Oakfield, but I most definitely did not. Where did you go from Biggin Hill? Nowhere in particular. I'd had a heavy week and I just wanted to get away into the wide blue yonder. I flew up as far as Derby, then over to the east coast and back to base. There were plenty of people who saw me take off and return, and I was in radio communication, of course. Oh, we've checked, sir. No problem there. I was wondering... When you were airborne, did you happen to see a Piper Cherokee with its markings blacked out? Afraid not. Look, Inspector, I'd like to continue this, but I do have to rush. I'll be in my office in the morning if you do have any further questions. Oh, that's all right, sir. Uh, let's leave it that I'll contact you if anything else occurs to me. Fine. Uh, nice talking to you, Inspector. Mm. Bye. Uh, miss, I think I might have the other half, please. Half of draft, was it? Right. A nice young fellow, that. Ben Tompkins? Oh, he's all right. More money than is good for him, that's all. Oh, loaded, eh? <laughs> I'll say. His father was a property millionaire. Ben didn't get on too well with the old man. He, uh, what do you call it? He dropped out, lived rough. And then the father died and left everything to his three children. Ben came in for a cool million. Here we are. Oh, thanks. Uh, here, take it out of that and have one for yourself. Oh, very kind of you, sir. I'll have it later, if you don't mind. Your change. Mm. Oh, thanks. So, he came in for a million, did he? Mm, could have been more. i tell you one thing. It changed him. Well, I imagine a million pounds would change most people. Mm, but you should have seen our Ben. One day he's in here talking about the revolution, down with the rich, up with the workers and all that. Then he comes into the money and whoosh, he's wearing expensive leisure wear, flying aeroplanes, having a good time with the birds, moaning about taxes and saying people like that Tony Ben should be locked up. Oh, that's quite a change. Change? 
was a transformation. I tackled him once about it. He said he'd learned sense that he'd grown up. I just wonder if he would have grown up so fast without the money. Yes, does make you wonder, doesn't it? Hmm. When did this transformation take place? Oh, a year, eighteen months ago. Interesting. Well, I must be on my way. Thanks. You're welcome. Night. Knowles. Detective Inspector Martin, sir. I think I've come up with something interesting about the plane. Well. I've been running a recheck on the owners who were not eliminated. I've just been talking to one of them, a Mr. Ben Tompkins. He has a curious background. Inspector Wiley. What can I do for you, Sergeant Bellamy? There's a Mr. James Marlowe outside. He wants to see Commander Knowles. What about? The kidnapping, sir. You saw the photograph of George Sharp in the Daily Telegraph. Are you sure that he knows the man? Is he a crank? Well, you can't tell, of course, but... No, I wouldn't have said so. Why does he want to see Knowles? Won't I do? He insists on seeing the top man. Well, sounds honestly like a nutter. Well, hold on. I'll just go and check. Now, Martin, don't pull him in yet. Put a round-the-clock tail on him. Sir. Come in. Report to me immediately if there are any significant developments. We'll check further this end. And listen, don't lose him. Right, sir. Wiley, I think we may have something. Mr Ben Tompkins owns a pipe of Cherokee and admits to being airborne last Saturday. Young, filthy rich. Rich? Well, this operation must have cost thousands. Someone had to finance the kidnappers. Look, I want you to get on the special branch. Find out if they've got anything on Tompkins. Was he ever a member of any of the loony left groups and so forth? There you are. Look, I've written down the details. Well, well there's a Mr Marlowe outside to see you, sir. Oh, really? Has he come to solve the case for us? Sir? Philip Marlowe, you twit. The most famous private eye in... Oh, never well, what does he want? He says he knows George Sharp. Recognise the picture in the newspapers. Wheel him in, then, and get cracking on those inquiries about Tompkins. Right. Will do, sir. Now, would you come this way, sir? Thank you. Come in, Mr Marlowe. Take a seat, please. Thank you, Commander. Aha, uh -huh. you've been in the sun, has he? Oh, yes, just back from holiday, Florence. Now, my inspector tells me you think you recognise the picture of the man we want to interview. I don't think, Commander. I know. Well, that's definite enough. All the same, would you mind looking at the original photograph, just to make sure we've had a number of false alarms, as you can imagine? Not at all. Here we are. Now, would you study it carefully? It's a group picture, as you see. I'm quite satisfied, Commander. That is the young man, the one at the back of the group. And do you know him? Oh, no, I didn't say that. I said I recognised him. Ah, I see. Let me explain. Yes. I have a shop in Brighton. Handicrafts, pottery, fine linen, prints, glassware and so forth. It's not Harrods, mind you, but it gives me a living. Well, he came in and bought a cloth, a sort of tablecloth, mm. a cheapish line, not my usual sort of thing, but I'd taken a half a dozen of them as a favour to a friend. When... When was this? Almost three weeks ago, just before I closed up and went on holiday. Can you describe the cloth? Quite easily. It was blue, and it had a kind of zodiac design. Uh -huh. I don't know if you've ever been to a fortune teller's commander, but it was the kind of cloth they might use to cover a table uh, during one of their sessions. Would you uh, take a look at this, Mr Marlowe, please? Another exhibit. It's a piece of cloth which we recovered in Oakfield Park after the bomb explosion. Oddly enough, it was used by a sort of fortune teller. Yes, 
Yes, you can clearly see the Capricorn sign and part of Virgo. Oh, I'd be willing to swear that this came from one of my cloths. Yes, indeed. Do you uh, trade under your own name, Mr. Marlowe? Of course. Odd. You're not mentioned on this list. Yes. These cloths were made in Hong Kong. We traced the UK distributors and they gave us a list of their retail outlets and you are not on it. Hong Kong, you say? Oh, that's most distressing. I was assured that the cloths were British. I don't like to be deceived. Where did you get your supply, Mr. Marlowe? As I said, from a friend. He has a shop rather similar to my own, though on a smaller scale in Cheltenham. Ah, uh -huh. is this it? Pips Art and Hobby Shop. That's it. By Jove, you chaps have certainly done your homework. Pip had foolishly taken a stock of these cloths and couldn't shift them. I offered to take six and see what I could do. Your friend Pip didn't mention this when we spoke to him. You've spoken to him? Well, I never. Oh, he wouldn't have remembered. He's a real scatterbrain. Ah. Uh, confidentially, I don't think his business will survive much longer. Yes. He's no head for it, you know. Yeah, right. Now, uh, let's get back to your shop. Did this young man say why he wanted to buy the cloth? No. No, I'm sure he didn't. How many other customers did you have that day? Goodness, that's a question. I could look it up. I keep meticulous records. Yeah, at a guess. At a guess. Uh, Twenty. Oh, no, it was a Saturday, so it would be nearer thirty. Thirty. Thirty customers, and it was over three weeks ago. Why should you particularly remember this one person? Well, partly because I sold him that particular cloth. It was the only one I'd managed to move. And uh, partly because of the girl. Girl? What girl? Didn't I say? No, you didn't. Oh, well, he had this girl with him. Uh, not exactly with him, you understand. She waited at the entrance to the shop, and yes. I noticed how pretty she was. Exceptionally so. Quite beautiful, with lovely corn-coloured hair. You're sure they were together? Oh, yes. At one point she made a signal to him to indicate that time was getting on. And as they went off together, she took his arm and laughed up into his face. I'd like you to give me a description of the girl, as detailed as you can make it. No need for that, surely. You have her photograph. What? There, in that group picture you showed me. This one? That's it. There she is, in the foreground, to the left. She's beautiful, isn't she? Thank you, Mr. Marlowe. Wiley? Sir? Lashwood's secretary, Sue Swinton, I think her name is. She could be involved in some way. God, and she's been sitting there under our noses. Want me to pick her up, sir? No, I said she could be involved. Not that she was. Still, I'd like to talk to her. Get the car organised. You know, Wiley, I've been wrong before and I could be wrong now. But I have a feeling that we are at the beginning of the breakthrough. The beginning of the breakthrough. That's what Commander Knowles was to call the latest development in his investigation into the kidnapping of the Prime Minister and his wife. A week in which all the massive resources of the police and the security services were mobilised had produced very little. But Knowles had uncovered a rather tenuous link between a girl named Sue Swinton and one of the kidnappers. It didn't make me too happy because Sue happened to be my secretary. Away for the weekend. Any idea where she's gone? No, Commander, I haven't, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Can I help? Uh, no, I don't think so. You see, Mr Lashwood, I want to ask her why she lied to me. Sue? Why would she do that? You were there. 
She said she hardly knew the man who called himself George Sharp. Well, I never saw them together, except at party meetings with lots of other people. But someone did see them together at Brighton three weeks ago. What's that, a couple of hundred miles away? And it was a Saturday. Does that suggest that she hardly knew him? Sounds like a weekend away to me. OK, maybe you're right. I don't keep a check on Sue's private life. But if you're suggesting that she's tied up with a kidnapping, I... <laughs> I'd find that hard to credit. But if she were, it would explain a lot, wouldn't it? From the point of view of the kidnappers, she's in a key position. This is the Prime Minister's constituency. You are his parliamentary agent, and Sue Swinton is your secretary. Yes. She'd have access to details of the PM's visits to the area, and she'd know all about the timetable for the fate, right? Yes, it's true, but young Sue? Good God, she's a baby. Twenty, that's all. It can be a dangerous age. Is she particularly left-wing, Mr Lashwood? Well, yes. I wouldn't have much respect for her at her age if she wasn't. Oh, yes? But she's not one of the wild ones. Well, you've seen her. She looks after herself, dresses well, doesn't shove her ideas down people's throats. You're pretty defensive about her, Mr Lashwood. Am I? Well, maybe I don't like the presumptions you seem to be making. Tell me, who were her particular friends? Who might be able to tell us where to find her? I really don't know. I suppose you could check with her parents. They live in Weatherby, I think. She may have gone there for the weekend. Well, hold on. I, I've got the address here somewhere. Has she got a car? Yes, sir. An old banger. Anglia, I think. Afraid I, afraid I don't know the number. Ah. Tell me something, Commander. It's been a week since the kidnapping. This morning, the Daily Express suggested that the Prime Minister could be dead. What do you think? I remember the house where I was born. The little window where the sun came peeping in at morn. He never came a wink too soon, nor brought too long a day, but now I often wish the night had borne my breath away. I remember, I remember the roses red and white. Still reciting poetry, are we? Typical bourgeois occupation. What do you want? Do you know what some of your newspapers are saying, Mr Prime Minister? They are burying you already. There is speculation that you might be dead. What do you think of that? <laughs> no comment. The point is, the point surely is, that if we kill you, they won't be surprised. If I shoot you with this... Oh, we're back to guns, are we? Everything comes back to guns in the end, isn't that so? Use it, for God's sake. If you're going to fire, get on with it. Anything to oblige. <laughs> Very funny. Next time it will be loaded, and you will die laughing. <laughs> Do you know anything about guns, Mr Prime Minister? No. Of course not. Why should you? You're the Prime Minister. You can order others to do the killing for you. And, of course, there's nothing evil about a gun. It all depends whose finger is on the trigger. Really, it's a mistake to call them guns, you know. I mean, this is a pistol. That's the proper term for it, an automatic pistol. Well, semi-automatic, really. You have to pull the trigger for each shot. It's a Luger. A Luger 9mm 8 shot. It has a double-action hammer. You can carry it without bothering about the safety catch. Some people prefer revolvers, and they are more reliable in a way, more flexible. A what are you staring at? Nothing. I find the lecture fascinating. 
and very revealing. Don't patronize me, old man. Don't patronize me for your own sake. You're fading, Falchek. Come in, come in. Put the blindfold on, Stoddart. Is that Put it on. All right. But this is the last time. After this, no more play acting. Get moving! Right, thank you, Inspector. Sergeant Bellamy. Sir? Put out a general on this registration number. Pronto. Sir? The owner is a Miss Susan Swinton. She's to be held for questioning. Urgent. Will do, sir. Come and get your coffee. Sandwich. You've enough. I said that was urgent, Sergeant. Sir? What's new? Now, the Weatherby police got the registration number of the girl's car from her father. Seems he gave it to her last Christmas. I'll put out a general on it. Good. Now, listen. Ben Tompkins, that boy we put under surveillance. He was on the list of people with Piper Cherokee aircraft. We haven't lost him, I hope. No, sir. He was last reported having lunch at a Chinese restaurant in Kensington. That was, oh, let me see, about an hour ago. I suppose he's still there. Tell Martin to bring him in. Something new? I've just been talking to Cadwell of Special Branch. They've got a file on our friend. Tompkins was up to his ears in ultra-left-wing politics at university. Called himself Jake Tompkins, then. Up to 18 months ago, he was still involved. Then he came into money and practically changed overnight. Ah, that figures, sir. Amazing what a little money can do to your principal. This wasn't a little, it was a lot. More than enough to finance this kidnapping operation. And do you reckon he deliberately turned respectable as a cover? Like I said, tell Martin to bring him in. And then we shall find out. Mr. Tompkins? Um... Yes? Oh, my friend, the policeman, Detective Inspector Martin. Yes, sir. Not again. What can I do for you this time? I wonder if you'd mind coming with me, sir. A few more questions, you understand. Oh, it's a bit much, Inspector. I'm entertaining this young lady. And I really don't see how I can help any further. I'm sure the young lady will find her way home, Mr. Tompkins. Now, if you'd please... Hold him, Wallace, hold him! Get out of my way or you'll get this! You heard me! Get back! Drop that bottle or I'll break your arm. Right. Now, come on, Tompkins. Pig! Pig! Now, Mr Prime Minister, we've been very patient. We've allowed you to see your wife. How is she? She's well, and we've given you time to think. Are you ready now to make a statement? What about... Oh, stop stalling. Malchick, leave this to me, please. We want you to make a statement, a public statement, in which you openly confess your political errors, in which you expose your betrayal of the British working class and of your former socialist principles. A public statement, you say? Of course. We shall see that it receives the widest circulation. It'll be a valuable political document. For the first time, the workers will clearly see the true character of reformist leaders like you. The true extent of your corruption. If you believe that, you're either stupid or naive. Don't strain my patience, Mr Prime Minister. You want a confession? All right. I'll give you one. That's better. I doubt if it'll please you. A confession? Let me see. I'm almost 60 years of age, and it would be a miracle if I'd managed to survive that long without some degree of corruption setting in. It's a question of degree, you see. Do you know the trouble with ideals? They can't stand up to experience. Maybe that's why we call them ideals. Because they're impossible of achievement. Because they are dreams that demand a perfection in people that doesn't exist, never has existed, and probably never will exist. That's the fault of the system. In an ideal system of society... Oh, for God's sake, must you always think in slogans? An ideal system presupposes ideal people. You can't have one without the other, right? Seen any ideal people lately, brother? 
in Russia, China, Britain, America. People, my friend, are, well, people. Kind, generous, gentle, unselfish, and treacherous, cruel, self-seeking, bloody-minded. There are no ideal people. We're all flawed. A pity, but it's true. So, what you're saying is that you abandon your ideals and with them you abandon the people, the working class. No. The fact is, you do your best. It may look like damn all at the end of the day, but you keep going. Perhaps it's the memory of those old ideals that spurs you on. You learn to compromise. You settle for a point somewhere between the ideal and the practical, between what's right and what's possible. You settle for a half or a quarter, for something. That's what politics is all about. That's why it's called the art of the possible. Interesting. An interesting admission. The typical social fascist outlook. He is rotten. Rotten to the core. Yes. So, now I think we'll proceed with the trial. Trial? Oh, yes. Did you think we were finished? We're going to put you on trial, Prime Minister, for crimes against the people. You will be tried by a revolutionary court. You are mad. Victor, could I have a word? Can't it wait? No, it is urgent. Very well. What is it? Alan just rang through on the internal phone. A police car has pulled up at the main gate. Right. Valchik? Yes? Red alert. Take the prisoner down. Then tell the others to stand by. What do you think then, Bert? I don't reckon we need bother with this place, do you? Well, we were told to check every house, Sarge. No exceptions. Oh, I know. But this is different. It's government. You look at that sign over there. Institute of Industrial and Technol... Technological Development. Hmm. Research Division. I mean, that's official. In any case, I'm hot and hungry. Oh, I still think we ought to check, Sarge. Afternoon, Sergeant. Oh. Oh. What can I do for you? Well, we're just making a routine check. Been a lot of robberies at isolated premises lately, you see. Places like this. We're dropping the odd word of warning and checking the general security precautions. Oh, I think you'll find we're in pretty good order here, Sergeant. Have to be. Important work. Are you a uh, security man? That's right. Hmm. Don't recognise the uniform. Oh, we're, uh, we're on the staff. In-house security, you might say. Oh. Look, pop into the lodge and I'll show you what we've done. And uh, I can offer you a beer at the same time. What's happening now? They've just gone into the lodge with Alan. Well, if anybody can bamboozle them, it'll be him. There we are, Sergeant. <clears throat> Two nice cold beers. Ah, oh, very welcome, so. too. You do yourself well, yeah? Yeah, why not? Right, why not? Well, cheers. Yeah, cheers. Cheers. Ah, I needed that. You one of ours, eh? From the valleys? No, I'm afraid not. I'm from the west, the real Wales. Oh, in Glendower country, you oh, know. I'm <laughs> from the Merthyr, myself. Uh, this place, what, what exactly do they do here? Oh, well, it says, I suppose. Must confess, I don't know much about it. Research into the problems of industry, whatever that may mean. Ah. Uh, official, is it? Well, sort of, yeah. I mean, uh, like, tied up with government, like? Well, I imagine so. They've only been here a few weeks, you know, still setting up. About a dozen people here so far, but they reckon it'll be nearer 200 by the finish. It's all pretty hush-hush stuff. And you control the security from here, do you? Yeah, more or less. Uh, this, uh, this panel here, all, all right. these switches, they do the work. For instance, the main gates can't be opened, even manually, unless this switch is in the on position... This switch sounds an alarm up at the house. Right. Now, this one switches on floodlights, and of course I have direct internal communication. We have a firm coming to install an electronic system which will protect the house and the perimeter fences. Mm, pretty comprehensive. Oh, money, no object. Actually, the man you ought to talk to is Professor Wilmot. He's the chief boffin. 
I doubt if he can tell you more than I can, but uh, if you'd like to see well, him... Well, it might be a good idea no, if we actually... No, I don't think we need to bother him. You seem to have everything buttoned up pretty well. No, we'll see him another time. Yeah, I think so. Right, we'll be on our way then. Uh, thanks for the beer. Yeah, thanks very oh, much. Sir. Any time. It's nice talking to you. are making a general check. Did they mention the Prime Minister? Not a word. <laughs> Neither did I. Now listen, Alan. There'll be a unit meeting tonight. We're proposing to put Stoddart on trial tomorrow. Mm, makes sense. The sooner the better in my book. Right. See you at seven, then. Well? No, no, I said Tompkins refuses to talk. What the hell do you mean? Oh, just that. He hasn't uttered a word since we brought him in. But he's up to his ears in this business. Yeah. We've checked his papers. He went to Paris last Thursday, a day trip. He must have delivered that communique to the British consulate. I tried him with that, sir. Same result. Silence. Now, what about the girl, sir? Sue Swinton. She hasn't been traced. Think she's gone to grain, sir? God knows. Wiley, I've got this prickly feeling at the back of my neck. I think we're running out of time. We've had no communication from the kidnappers for three days. Well, Anything could have happened. Well, I've got a couple of heavy chaps in the team, sir. Shall I turn them loose on Tompkins? I don't know. Maybe it is time we took off the kid gloves. Yes. Uh, tell your fellows, I don't actually want anything broken. Sir. But short of that, I want to see Tompkins so rabid scared that he'll sing until sundown. Be merciful unto me, O oh God, be merciful unto me, for my soul taketh refuge in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I take refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me when he that would swallow me up cometh. God shall send forth his mercy and truth. Amen. I'm sorry, Mrs. Goddard. I didn't mean to interrupt your oh. prayers. I brought your supper. Oh, it wasn't a prayer. It was from the Psalms. Well, I suppose it was a sort of prayer, really. Are you religious? Not enough. I believe in God, but I'm selfish about it. How do you mean? I use God. I only go to him when I want something and feel guilty about that. Oh, well, that's my problem. I dare say he'll forgive me. I brought some more knitting wool and a couple of magazines. Oh, thank you. Tell me, Jane, there's something I've been meaning to ask you. Have you got a boyfriend? <laughs> or did I say something wrong? Do you think that's all there is for a woman? To have a boyfriend, get married, raise a family. But without a man, she is nothing. Yes, of course. I should have realised. You're all for this women's lib. Oh, don't insult me. Women's lib is rubbish, a, a bourgeois diversion. It, it deflects women away from the main revolutionary struggle. Oh, I see. Freedom for women must be seen in the context of the wider battle to liberate the whole of mankind. Oh, it's odd how you go on about liberty. I'll bring you a pamphlet, if you like. It'll explain our no, attitude. No, no, thanks all the same. I'm not a great one for reading political stuff. I've always left the politics to Jack, to my husband. It might have been better if you had taken an interest. Huh? You're honest, at least... You're an honest person. Your husband sold out. You might have been able to stop him no, doing that. No, he's always done his best. Garbage. You must have seen the change in him. I mean, when he was young, when you were first married, he was great. Some of the speeches he made then were terrific. 
But in the past ten years, oh, he sold out for power and position. Oh, look, Jane, you just don't understand. That's right, I don't understand. I don't understand why you defend him, why you've stuck by him. You've seen him change from a man to a windbag, <laughs> and you've stayed on. If I ever married a man or lived with one, I wouldn't stick it for a minute if he turned rotten on me. I'm not speaking of sex and all that. He could have a hundred other women. I'm talking about the things that matter. People, justice, freedom. If he betrayed those, I'd be off. I'm sorry, I, I can't think in your terms. Oh, there were times a few when I was tempted to leave Jack, but not for your sort of reasons. No, it was because... because he... well, he'd hurt me. Well, there's nothing new in that. Everyone gets hurt sometimes. How did he hurt you? I don't know. Well, maybe he did change in the way you said, but he changed in other personal ways, too, and... well, I was no longer important to him, except... Except as someone who could appear at his side in public and give him the stamp of respectability. Oh, that's awful. No, you learn to cope, to adjust. And after a while, it doesn't hurt so much. The truth is The truth is, you still love him, in spite of everything. Oh, yes. Yes, I suppose I do. In spite of and because of everything. Like I said, you're an honest person. <laughs> you're a fool, but you are honest. Well, enjoy your supper. I must go. How is my husband? He's well. I doubt that. When can I see him? Tomorrow. I think you'll see him tomorrow. When? What time? At the trial. Trial? No more questions. I'll bring you some of our literature next time I come. When you read that, you'll know what we stand for. Don't bother. I know what you stand for. Freedom. Only you have a funny way of showing it. You kidnap people and lock them up. Ah, Jane. How's the patient? She's not a patient. You know what I mean. She's as well as can be expected. I wonder how she'll react tomorrow. You're not really going to have her at the trial. Of course. It should be interesting. Victor, that is sadistic. Jane, your sentimentality is showing again. I wonder... I wonder if it has anything to do with your background. Oh, God, we're not back to that, are we? No, listen, it's true. I was toughened in the back streets of Islington, and you, well, you had it easy. Public school, top university, and your family is loaded. You've never felt it here, in the guts. That's where belief begins, love. In the guts. The rationale comes afterwards. That's elitist nonsense and you know it. No, your attitude is conditioned by your background. You've never known pain. That's why you're sentimental about it. Perhaps in certain ways I am squeamish. Perhaps I'm immature in that respect. But that hasn't affected my faith in what we're trying to achieve. I want us to succeed. Even if it means executing the Prime Minister? Executing? Of course. At his trial tomorrow, he'll almost certainly be found guilty of betraying the working class. The court will then pass sentence. I shall vote for execution. How about you? Operations room, County Police HQ. Sergeant Macy, put me through to D.I. Wiley. 
Don't you ever say please. Hold on. I see. The girl has just driven into the forecourt of the apartment block, sir. Car registration number checks, and she answers the description of Susan Swinton. Was she alone? Yes, sir. Uh, where is she now? She went to the tenth floor, sir. Uh, the lights are showing there now. Right. Now listen carefully. Now, who have you got with you? Morgan and Phelps, sir. Right. Close in. Now, if she tries to leave the flat, arrest her. Otherwise, hold it under surveillance until I get there. Understood? Yes, sir. Oh, and Macy. Sir. Are there any back stairs? I don't know, sir. Well, damn well, find out. And see that they're covered. Sir. I'll be with you in ten minutes, Macy. Fifteen at the most. Don't let this one get away, will you? <sighs> you again. What is it now? Jane has brought you some supper. I am not hungry. Don't be hasty. You see? Something of an improvement on your usual fare. Hot coffee, bacon, eggs and toast. The condemned man ate a hearty supper. And that's one way of looking at it. However, you've not been formally condemned as yet. That's for the tribunal to decide at your trial. <laughs> trial? I would advise you to take it seriously, Mr Prime Minister. I assure you we will. So much so that we've appointed Jane here to uh, outline the procedure and to advise you on your rights as the defendant. And if I refuse to participate in this... this charade... You will be present, Mr Prime Minister, whether you like it or not. You will have the right to speak in your own defence. If you choose not to exercise that right, well, that's your decision. Carol will be outside if you need him, Jane. It won't be necessary. Right. Why don't you have your supper before it gets cold? We can talk as you eat. I told you I am not hungry. But I will have some of that coffee. How's my wife? We are not here to discuss her. How is she, damn you? Well. She's not... I mean, she... She's not on trial, if that's what you mean. There are no charges against her. She's here more by accident than design, and... As soon as practicable, she'll be released unharmed. That's all I want to know. Your concern puzzles me. She is my wife. Really? I think it would be more fitting to describe her as your political appendage. The symbol of respectability without which no politician is complete. That's not true. Lie to yourself if you must, Mr Stoddart. But don't bother to lie to me. You don't give a damn for your wife. We've done our homework, you see. How many other women have you had? Nine? Ten? The wife of a parliamentary colleague? That girl from the research department? The secretary in Strasbourg? I could give you the names. I'm not criticising your sexual morality. That's your affair. Thank you. But I do oppose the use of any human being as an object, which is exactly how you used your wife. As a political convenience, nothing more. God, when I think about it, you used her shamelessly. And she stood for it. She put up with it year after year. You know something, Mr Prime Minister? You are not fit to lace her shoes. I know that. You don't have to tell me. I know that. You see, your time with us hasn't been wasted. You have confessed to something at last. Shall we get on with the details of the trial? We need some quick answers, Wiley. Even if we've got to frighten them out of her. 
Uh, leave it to me, sir. Oh, Mr. Knowles. Come on. What? In there, no, lady. Listen. I want to talk to you. Now, would you mind explaining Shut that? up. What? How dare I you? I said shut up. I'll tell you when to speak. I'm going down to the car to use the radio, Inspector. I shall be back in five minutes. Please cooperate with Detective Inspector Wiley, Miss Swinton, for your own sake. Now, you red bitch. You treacherous little red bitch. Let us begin. After a week in which it seemed that the police were getting nowhere, the brakes were at last beginning to come their way. They had arrested a young man called Tompkins, whose plane had been used in the plot to kidnap the Prime Minister. He stubbornly refused to talk, and Commander Knowles, who was in charge of the investigation, now moved in on Sue Swinton, another prime suspect. Time was running out, and he desperately needed to break down her resistance. Please cooperate with Detective Inspector Wiley, Miss Swinton, for your own sake. Now, you red bitch. You treacherous little red bitch. Let us begin. No, right. Shut up! Now, you speak when you're spoken to. Now, sit. Not there, here. Now, this chair. There. Yeah. Well, nice little place you got here. Yeah, all this beautiful hi-fi equipment. No. Sorry, me foot slipped. Went right through the cabinet. Ah, what have we got here? A little collection of drinks? Alcohol isn't good for a young lady. We'd better get rid of it. Vodka, sherry, wine. And you don't need the glasses now, do you? No! No! Stop it! But I've hardly started. Oh, all this stuff on the shelf. A bookcase. A pot plant. Stop it! No right! Right? Don't you talk to me about right. You wouldn't know the meaning of the word. There, that's your nice little transistor radio gone for a Burton. Just a demonstration, sweetheart, of what I could do to you, what I will do to you if you don't talk. I don't know what you mean. Don't play the innocent. I haven't the time for games. Now talk. <laughs> Tell me about your friend George Sharp. Give me names, addresses, the lot. I don't know what you mean. Do you want me to Ow. beat it out of you? Ow. Don't think I won't. You're hurting. Ow. Oh, I mean to. Now talk. <laughs> Give you five seconds. One, two, three. No, no. All right, all right. What do you want to know? What do you want to know? That's a sensible girl. <laughs> now, you wait here while I get Commander Knowles. A revolutionary tribunal. That is what I said, Prime Minister. Or you can call it a People's Court of Justice, if you prefer. Whatever it's called, there'll be precious little justice in it for me. Tell me, what is the procedure of this so-called court? The chairman, Victor, will open the proceedings. Then the prosecutor will present the case against you. In this instance, there will be no witnesses. And the defence? You may appoint someone to speak for you, or you may defend yourself. You have a choice. Very democratic. Sarcasm will not help, Mr Prime Minister. I advise you to take the trial seriously. Oh, I shall. I shall. 
After the defence statement, there will be a general debate in which all present may participate. Including me? Of course. You see, the procedure is based on the dialectic principle. We believe in open, frank debate, unrestricted by legal mumbo-jumbo. We believe that this is the only path to the truth. And after this open, frank debate... The chairman will sum up and put the question to the vote. Question? Is the accused guilty as charged or not guilty? I see. And if the vote goes against me? The chairman will propose a motion of punishment. And may I ask what crime or crimes I'm to be charged with? You know the answer to that one. You will be charged with betrayal. Betrayal? Betrayal of the toiling masses and of your early beliefs and principles. Will you defend yourself or do you want a spokesman to be appointed? Will it make any difference? How do you mean? Oh, come. You know the whole thing's a farce. In your eyes, in the eyes of your friends, I'm guilty already. Why bother with your so-called trial? Do you want a spokesman? Yes or no? No. I'll speak for myself. Good. The proceedings will begin at 8.30 sharp tomorrow morning. Wait. Will my wife be there? Yes. Is that necessary? I mean... Well, there's no need to make her suffer as well. Your wife is stronger than you give her credit for, Mr Studdart. And in any case, isn't it a little late in the day for you to be concerned about her? You haven't cared over much in the past, have you? How is she, Wiley? Oh, she'll sing like a canary, sir. Good. Let's go back in. Uh, careful how you tread, Commander. I've made a bit of a mess of the place, I'm afraid. <laughs> a mess? That's an understatement. Right, Miss Swinton. We want some answers to some important questions. You are a member of the group which abducted the Prime Minister and his wife, right? Yes. Speak up. Yes. Where are your friends holding the Prime Minister? Don't know. You're lying. Julie, I don't know. Were they taken abroad? <laughs> you heard answer. No. Were they taken abroad? No. They're in this country, then? Yes, I think so. Think? We don't want your thoughts. We want your answers. The plan, plan was to hold them in this country. But I don't know where, I swear. Are they alive? Yes, of course. How can you be sure if you don't know where they're being held? Because the, the idea was to put the Prime Minister on trial. On trial? What? What for, for God's sake? For crimes against the people. Betraying the working class. Gordon Bennett, you wouldn't read about it, would you? Who is the group leader? We don't have a leader. All decisions are arrived at democratically. Oh. But I, I suppose Victor is the one we look to. Victor who? I don't know. The members of the field unit were given code names. So Victor is not his real name? No. Mm -hmm. And the other members of this uh, field unit, who are they? I only know their code names. Apart from Victor, there's Valchik, Carol, Jane, Peplow and Thornby. All British. Valchik came to this country from Czechoslovakia in 1968. Carol is Dutch, otherwise, yes, British. Uh -huh. <laughs> we shall want a detailed description of each one. Now, tell us about the aims of the group. What is its programme? There isn't a programme. We call ourselves situationists. You what? Situationists. We try to create situations which will damage the structure of bourgeois society. God. 
The first task is to destroy capitalism. We will develop a programme after that has been done. If there's anything or anybody left. Well, I think that is all we can do here. Wiley, uh, a word. Oh, she really believes in that garbage. She really believes it. Yes, I know. Sincerity can be very dangerous, especially in the hands of the young. On the other hand, sir, I don't think we've got much to crow about. We make a dog's breakfast of the world and then wonder why some of our kids lose their marbles. <sighs> well, shall I take her in and book her? Yes, sir, do that and get the detailed description. <laughs> What was that? Why, the balcony! The balcony! What, sir? Oh, my God, she's thrown herself over! Oh, my God! Uh, here. Here it is, on page five. Susan Eleanor Swinton, a secretary aged 20, jumped to her death from the balcony of her 10th floor flat in Oakfield early yesterday evening. A police spokesman said that foul play was not suspected. Is that all? A few lines? That's all. They killed her, the pigs. They killed her. Of course. And we shall exact retribution, never fear. For the moment, what we have to note is that the authorities are closing in. We don't know if Sue talked. She wouldn't betray us. We must not take anything for granted. Luckily, she knew nothing of this place. All the same, I think we should move on. Thornby, you no. will make the necessary arrangements for transport. No. We'll move to rendezvous number two as soon as possible. Right. What about the Prime Minister? There's no time to proceed with a full trial. We'll bring him before the unit in 30 minutes. And then what? I shall propose that he be executed forthwith. As a reprisal for the death of our comrade, Sue Swinton. We've got it, sir. We've got it. Yeah? Now, we've been checking Tompkins, his files, bank account and all that, and we've put together all the easy various... Easy, well, things. easy, you trip over your tongue. <sighs> Sit down and get your breath back. And then tell me slowly and carefully exactly what it is that you've got. Oh, I've got the details here, sir. Now, first, for the past year, Tompkins has been making regular monthly payments to an organisation called the Institute of Industrial and Technological Development. Uh, he's paid out a total of... Uh, £112,000. Did you check out this institute? Yes, sir. That's all intents and purposes. It don't exist. Oh. Well, it had a small office in uh, Gray's Inn Road up to about two months ago and some headed notepaper, and that's all. But this institute must have had a bank account. Well, it did. The cheques from Tompkins were paid in by a man called Victor King. Victor? According to the girl, the leader of the terrorist group was called Victor. Exactly. And this man, Victor King, also controlled the Institute's chequebook and drew out large sums at regular intervals. So, that's how the operation was financed. Yeah. And now listen to this, sir. It gets better. Well, never mind the build-up. Just tell me. Right. Well, six months ago, Tompkins brought a large country house for uh, £280,000. Yes. And he got about half of that on a mortgage. Mm -hmm. And the deal was arranged in the normal way by a firm of reputable estate agents. For crying out loud, man, never mind the fiddling details. This house, where is it? Well, where is it? It's called, uh, Lithe House. It's in North Ants, about two miles outside a village called Little Bexby. Roughly 35 miles from here. That must be it. That must be where they're holding the PM. Under our noses. Right under our stupid noses. Jack Everett Stoddart. In the name of the working people and revolutionary intellectuals of Britain. On behalf of the toiling and oppressed masses all over the world. We charge 
that you are an enemy of the working class, an agent of capitalism and imperialism. For these crimes, and for the murder by your fascist hirelings of our dear comrade Susan Swinton, we pronounce you guilty. Guilty? I was told that I would be given an opportunity to speak before you reached a verdict. We've decided not to waste time. Your guilt is obvious, but you may speak in mitigation if you wish. I see. I'm to be allowed to beg for mercy. No more than that. Well, I'm afraid that isn't possible for several reasons. Most important, I suppose, is that I still have a little dignity left. I don't doubt that you've already decided to kill me. Such a murder Execution! Will... No! You no. will be executed! You can't! No! Mrs. Stoddart, if you can't keep silent, you'll be removed! You're mad! You're all mad! Quiet! Please! Please! He's done nothing to harm you! Please! Take her please. out! Kelly, come! No! No, Jane! Come with me! Come! Jane, help me! Rico! Out! You can't do this! Jack! Jack! I'm sure that you must all be very proud of yourselves. Get on with it. You have three minutes. Thank you. In a strange sort of way, I believe that I am in your debt. Meeting you has restored my faith in fundamentals. I now know that I still believe, deeply believe, in civil liberty, free political institutions, the dignity of the individual, all the things we loosely call democracy. For me... Democracy is not merely a way of making peaceful political change. It is a way of life which is honourable and good in its own right. right. Your attention, gentlemen, please. This map gives you a clear indication of the layout. Our information is that two of the terrorists are in the lodge here at the front gates. They control the alarm system. Those men will be immobilised by the SAS unit. When the lodge is secure, the gates will be opened. The police marksmen will take up concealed positions around the perimeter of the house. Here. You have accused me here. of betrayal. There is some truth in the charge, I admit it. But I believe with all my heart that it is you and people like you who are the real betrayers. By resorting to terrorism and violence, you're not simply rejecting democracy. You are helping the far right to power. People will grow tired of the chaos and disorder you create and they'll seek a saviour, a strong man of the right to restore order. And that will spell the end, not only for you, but for the unions, the minorities, anyone with the slightest... At this stage, we have to assume that the Prime Minister and his wife are still alive. And our main purpose must be to see that they remain so, that we bring them out alive. We should try mediation at first. If this doesn't work, the SAS unit, backed up by police marksmen... What makes you doubly dangerous is that you have closed and shuttered minds. That is an offence in the old. It is unforgivable in the young. You have retreated behind a wall of slogans, dogma and jargon. You hear only what you want to hear. How much longer are we going to listen to this garbage? Let him finish. I've almost done. You're going to kill me. Well and good. People die every day. And I've lived for almost 60 years, so I can't complain. But you must know that there'll be a terrible reaction to this deed. Not because my life is important, far from it, but because I happen to be the elected Prime Minister. Your violence will provoke violence. 
And in that violence you'll probably lose your lives, which is a pity because you're young. Even if you were to live and to succeed in making your revolution, you would be caught in a trap of your own making, because what you win with violence and terror can only be held by violence and terror. You must finish. As you wish. I have your pledge concerning my wife. She will go free. If it is possible, she will go free. What do you mean, if it's possible, you promise? Circumstances change. Now, no more arguments. The execution will take place in 30 minutes. You can spend that time with your wife. Take him away! But you promised! She's done nothing! You promised! Just had a signal from the lodge, sir. The SAS have taken over. One man captured, and the alarm system's been immobilised. Right. Order the marksman into position. We'll go in ten minutes. Jack. Oh, Jack. Jack. There, love, there. It's all right. It's all right. Oh. Is there anything I can get you? No. Just leave us alone. Very well. Oh, Jack, it's like a nightmare. Did they mean what they said about execution? Yes, I'm afraid so. Well, perhaps if I could talk to them. They're fanatics, love. Fanatics don't listen to other people. There's one good thing about this situation. It certainly concentrates the mind. Oh, love. I mean, you go through life thinking that something's important. Money, career, power, whatever. You even begin to think that you're important. Then suddenly, you're told that you're going to die. Oh, yes. Sure, sure, sure. I don't welcome death, love, but I'm not afraid of it either. No. What makes me sad, bitter, if you like, is the thought that most of the things that were important to me don't really matter a tuppenny damn. Why couldn't I see that before instead of now, when it's too late? Oh, Jack, you mustn't put yourself down. You've achieved such a lot. You've helped so many people. I haven't helped you much, have I? Did you hear me complain? No, you never would. Jess, love, I just want to say... No, no, Jack, I don't want to hear. I want to say I'm sorry No, that least of all. I mean it, Jack. You are incredible. Really. Attention, please, attention. This is an official police announcement. I have to tell you that we are here in force and that the house is completely surrounded. Resistance of any kind will be futile. They must have taken over the lodge. I can't raise Alan. Quiet, listen. In your own interests... Please take note of the following instructions. One, you will release the Prime Minister and Mrs. Stoddart unharmed and allow them to leave by the front door of the house. Go for my dead body. Will you listen, devil? Two, one minute after their release, all other occupants of the house will come out. Also, by the main door, with their hands above their heads. Three... We shall give you five minutes. At the end of that time, you will hang a white cloth from one of the upper windows to indicate that you have understood these instructions and will obey them. I repeat, the house is surrounded. It is now 
11.32 hours. You have until 11.37. How did they find us? How? Tompkins was the only one outside who knew the location. They must have arrested him and forced him to talk. Oh, right. We don't know what happened. In any case, it's academic now. There's a marksman. He's in the oak tree across the drive. I saw him move. Look. Where? Where do you mean? There, in the upper branches, to the left. Velchik, hmm? pass me that rifle. What are you, you going are? to do? What do you think? Give the pigs the only kind of answer they understand. <laughs> you got him! A oh, great no. shot! No. Pull yourself together, Jane. This is the moment of confrontation. A chance to write this day and our cause into the history books. It's exhilarating. Carol, get me the flag from the storeroom. Well... What do you want us to do, sir? Do as before. Hold fire until I give the order. But they killed one of our men, sir. I know, I know. But we cannot respond until we're sure of the Prime Minister and his wife. There's activity at one of the upper windows, sir. Look, there. Thank you, Sergeant. Sir, they're putting out a flag. A red flag. And they're singing. Listen. Oh, it don't seem real. In a few weeks' time, I'll find it hard to believe this really happened. The commander knows. Ah, Colonel Ackland. Yes. I've been taking a good look at that house. It's a big place, very big. The people inside must be pushed to cover it all. Do we know how many there are? We think five, possibly six. At all. I imagine there'll be more. It makes it easier, a piece of cake. Makes what easier? As I said, I've done a recce of the house. There's a part at the back which looks interesting. The people in the house can only cover the approach to it from one point. And once someone actually got to the base of that wall, they couldn't cover it at all. And then? My chaps could go up that wall like monkeys up a stick. We could get men onto that first floor balcony, and more men onto the second floor and the roof. We could wrap the thing up from those positions. Don't underestimate them, Colonel. They've already killed one man. They're fanatics. So are my men. At least they are when it comes to a situation like this. What do you say? Shall we have a go? Our first consideration must be to get the Prime Minister and his wife out alive. I know, and I reckon my idea gives the best chance of doing just that. All right, Colonel. Get your man in position. How long will it take? Fifteen minutes, maximum. I'll see you. Jack, what are you doing? Give me a hand. I want to block that door if we can get this wardrobe into place. We've got friends out there, Jess, and if we can hold the gang off for a while, buy a little time. Ah, Come on. Now the bed. Who is that? This is Commander Knowles of the police. Am I speaking to Victor? Yes. Good. Listen, I wish to avoid further bloodshed. To that end, no, I wish... Commander, no. You listen to me. I know your game. You want to keep us talking, wear us down, establish a relationship, like you did at the Balkan Street siege. Well, it won't wash with us. There'll be no talking, no negotiation. But listen. No talk. No negotiation. You heard that, comrades? If there are any of you who wish to surrender, you are free to do so. I shall stay and fight. And take a few of the pigs with us. I'll stay. I'm for fighting. Jane? Yes, yes. Good, good. We won't win, comrades. The forces against us are too strong. But we can set an example today that will inspire millions. Do you remember the words of Che Guevara? Wherever death may surprise us, it will be welcome, for other men will come forward to echo our funeral dirge 
in the staccato of machine guns. Staccato! 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 Carol, bring down the Prime Minister and his wife. We'll make their execution proof that we mean what we say. What's that? Never mind. Get the prisoners. Hold it. Put your hands above your head. Staccato! They were killed, every last one of them. Our casualties were one policeman and one soldier. The Prime Minister and his wife came out safely, but he was never quite the same man. Some say he was a better man. A month or so after returning to duty, he resigned the leadership and settled for being a backbench MP. As for the country, it settled back again into its well-known inertia, unconsciously preparing the ground for more terrorism. In politics, it seems, nobody learns any lessons.